The Lifestylist, episode 102, featuring Ruby Warrington. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. A huge part of my health strategy is taking medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And one of my favorite ways to take them is by making herbal elixirs. That's really tasty, hot and cold drinks. It's much cooler to take them that way than taking a bunch of pills. Like who can remember to do that? Well, I wanna let you know about my friends from Four Sigmatic. These guys make the most potent, high quality and delicious herbal blends that are really easy to take. You can make a cold or hot, herbal elixir drink like what i like to do is either add them to my bulletproof coffee or if i don't want to have caffeine i'll just make myself a four sigmatic herbal elixir with something like cordyceps lion's mane um, chaga mushrooms reishi mushrooms ashwagandha all the good stuff all the stuff that you can really feel working is available at four sigmatic so what i'd like you to do is go to foursigmatic.com and check it out they have an amazing suite of products And like anything that I promote, this is stuff that I use every day myself. I love this stuff. I'm super addicted to it, which is why I want to tell you about it. So go to foursigmatic.com. But even better, when you're there, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 15% off your order, which is pretty sweet. So enter THELIFESTYLIST and save 15% at foursigmatic.com. It's time for a shout out to my friends over at Organifi.com. Everyone knows that green juice is good for you now, right? You see it like in 7-Eleven. There's green juice everywhere. I love my green juice, but there's a couple problems with it. One, it usually comes in plastic, which is less than ideal. Two, it's loaded with sugar. A lot of these green juices that you think are healthy have like 25 grams of sugar. That's like a green Coca-Cola. Not good. But mainly the issue with the green juice phenomenon, for me personally, is that they're not very portable. Even if it comes in glass and it doesn't have sugar, I have to drink the whole thing at once if I'm in my car, I'm traveling or something like that. So they're just not quite convenient all of the time. And they'll just go bad if you leave them sitting there. So what Organifi has done is created this amazing superfood green juice blend that comes in a powdered form in a little packet that you can just throw in a bottle of water, any other drink, and make an instant super powerful green juice. So it's got 11 superfoods. It doesn't have any of the swag extra stuff that you don't need. It's just the stuff that you're actually going to feel. So it's got turmeric, chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, little matcha green tea for an extra kick there, some coconut water for electrolytes and potassium. And then it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is awesome because it doesn't spike your blood sugar. It's got like a low glycemic index, unlike some of those green juices I mentioned. So it's a really great product. I've been using it for months. You've probably heard me talk about it before. I want to share an opportunity with you to save 20% if you want to check it out. All you have to do is go to Organifi.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout and you're gonna save 20%. So that's Organifi.com with an I, not a Y. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 20%. Check it out, you will not be disappointed. 
The sound currently oozing through your eardrums and into your brain is the sound of the Lifestylist Podcast. I am your host, Luke Story, here to take you on yet another cosmic ride into the void with today's guest, Ruby Warrington. Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday for number 103 with Sal and Adam from Mind Pump, where we myth bust the entire fitness industry. It's pretty fantastic. So that's next Tuesday, number 103, all about the phony ass shit within the fitness business. You definitely don't want to miss that. And while we're at it, to ensure that you don't miss that episode or any episodes to follow, do yourself, me, and the world a favor and click subscribe on your podcast player right now. Boom. Do it. Do it. Do it. Done. Good job. So that you never, ever, ever miss one of these information downloads that could possibly change your life. Okay, back to this episode with our guest, Ruby Warrington. Ruby's a British editor, author, and curator who currently lives in Brooklyn, New York, which is where we recorded this particular show. In 2013, she launched The Numinous, a lifestyle platform that bridges the gap between the mystical and the mainstream. Her first book, Material Girl, Mystical World, is out now. And you know what? You should go get it. It's pretty badass. In her book, Ruby takes readers on a sophisticated metaphysical romp into a world of trendy psychics, bohemian celebrities, crystal-wearing young socialites, and the most sought-after referral-only healers. Ruby's other projects include the Sober Curious event series Club Soda in New York City and the digital spiritual mentoring program Moon Club. Pretty cool stuff. So what we talk about in this particular conversation, I mean, sometimes they're an interview and sometimes they're a conversation. This particular show is definitely a conversation. Uh, Ruby sat down. We sat there for, God, almost two hours. I kind of debated on whether or not to make this a double episode. I decided just to play it through because... Honestly, I couldn't find a good place to split it up in the middle. We just had great rapport. She's kind of like my female twin in many ways. We have so many sort of uh, worldview uh, things in common and just kind of the way that she comes from the fashion industry and has this really really great aesthetic in her sight and, uh, you know, appreciates design and all of that in the material world, as her book indicates, but she definitely lives in this sort of esoteric spiritual dimension as well. And so from that standpoint, we really were able to create what I think is a truly engaging and enlightening conversation. So having said that, some of the things we covered are as follows. Listen up, because here's what you're going to get out of this episode. And I encourage you to stay to the end, because at the end, it really gets juicy. In the beginning, we kind of warm up, and then, you know, there's a crescendo, so to speak. So stick with it, my friends, and reap the rewards. Here we go. How Ruby summoned the courage to leave her job in fashion and journalism and pursue her true dream and true life's purpose, something I know a lot about. I could really relate to her whole journey and mission in that particular area. How to become unembarrassed or shy regarding one's own spiritual beliefs, how to really own the path that you're on. How we are conditioned as a culture to believe that material success will make us happy and why we often turn to drugs and drink to overcome that inevitable disappointment. The difficulty in avoiding drinking too much in the fashion industry, because let's face it, in fashion and entertainment, the drinks and drugs flow for free and they are quite abundant. So she talks about how she manages to still be involved and not get caught up in all that BS. 
why British people are more skeptical of spirituality. You know, she is very much British and uh, is also super woo-woo, which I find fascinating because most people that I meet from that country, and I've traveled a lot there, spent a lot of time in the UK, uh, they look at me like I'm a freaking Martian. So it was actually cool to sit down with someone from England who's a proper British girl who's also super out there and into all the spiritual stuff. So she kind of talks about why that that culture uh, does not encourage such uh, interest in many cases. The value of hitting a spiritual bottom versus just being curious about such things. How to deal with imposter syndrome and self-doubt. How to navigate the issue of mixing money and spirituality. She's someone who's taken her mystical world and turned it into a materially successful career, brand, and business. So it was really fascinating to find out how she did that and how she reconciles those two worlds. Then we talk about whether or not crystals actually do anything, (laughs) something that I find very dubious. I'm trying to get on board with the crystals thing. Uh, I'm a little more convinced now, so she's got an interesting take on that. Then the power of breath work and kundalini yoga in terms of self-awakening. How she used manifestations to make getting a huge book deal easy. Now, I was very interested in that because I'm looking for a book deal currently myself, by the way. If you happen to be a publisher listening to this, hit me up because I have about five super dope ideas. The fact that many conspiracy theories are not theories at all, but actual conspiracies, you guys. Did you know that? Like maybe 80% of them end up being true. The current state of feminism. She has some great input on what we can really get from this new movement of super conscious feminine power women, which I'm really excited about. Then we pose the question, how much of astrology is real and valid versus wishful thinking and fantasy? And then how to use the principles of astrology to benefit yourself in your daily life. The possible myths of Jesus as described in the film Zeitgeist. If you're a Christian, you are going to trip out in that particular part of the interview. Very interesting stuff uh, covered there. What is the now age, quote unquote, and are we having a cultural awakening at this point in history? I believe that we are. The secrets of the Numenati, sort of like the Illuminati, but less evil. Then are tarot card readings legit? I mean, come on. Is there really anything to that? To me... It seems a little bit, you know, um, imaginative, let's just say that. But she kind of presents like like the astrology, the crystals, some of these different things that I've had a little bit of a hard time getting on board with. Uh, she, she really kind of makes a good case for some of that stuff. And I like that. I like exploring things that I think that we're curious about, but perhaps cautious or in some cases even suspicious of and opening our minds a bit and considering the possibility that there might be something of value there. And then, how men can truly embrace their power by acknowledging their emotions and expressing them in a healthy manner, something I'm working on all the time. So as you can see, we cover a pretty wide variety of topics, although most of it has to do with, like a lot of my shows lately, I think we're kind of in a theme, is how to live this spiritual life where our goal is evolution, personal development, and ultimately enlightenment but still being a real person, operating in the world, having a decent pair of shoes on, you know, being on social media, doing all the stuff that we do, yet still making a positive and, dare I say, spiritual contribution to the world. So please relax, sit back. Well, unless you're driving a car, then don't relax too much. 
But take a moment, take a breath, open your mind, open your heart, and enjoy this deep dive of a conversation with the lovely and talented Ruby Warrington. Welcome to the show, Ruby. Thanks, Luke. So I have been on this tour of New York City, basically, since you and I both spoke at the Whitma event. Mm. And I'm like, <laughs> I was adding up the recordings today, and by the end of this week, it will be 14 recordings, which is just like totally insane. But I feel very fortunate to be able to sit down with you. I saw you speak at that event, and there were a lot of people there, and everyone was brilliant. I mean, really, I could have had everyone on all the panels, like on my show, but you in particular stood out to me as someone that I'm like, I need to interview her. Yeah, I really liked what you had to say. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that. I did that thing of being on a panel and being really excited to be there. And I came away afterwards and I was like, I didn't say this. And what I really meant was that. And I didn't really make this point fully. So it's cool to hear you say that. But again, I feel like there was so much more I wanted to say on that subject. Well, it is challenging, I think, when you're on a panel because, I mean, the... The challenge I had at least was you want to be respectful of the other people on your panel and not just kind of take over. I tend to have a pretty big extroverted personality in situations like that. So if my moderator was posing a question, I had to literally just sit on my hands and just give everyone else a chance to say something. And then if no one was quick enough, I would jump in. But still, then when you get onto a little tangent about something, still you have to be very mindful to kind of mm. like put a bow on it quickly so mm -hmm. that you can, you know, be respectful of the whole thing. So I, yeah. I totally understand exactly. walking away going, oh man, I didn't even get to do my thing, you know? <laughs> my thing takes like five hours. I, I always have way too much to say. So that's cool. Well, I think there's a reason and I'm a writer as well. I've, you know, I've, I've had a long career in journalism and writing generally, and I just have my book out. And I really, I like to take my time to make a point. Like I can start, it takes me sometimes a minute to like get all my ducks in a row. And so I don't necessarily perform the best in those situations where it's like, right, give us your soundbite right now. Because I'm like, this and then this and like you know so <laughs> that's funny i find uh, the opposite to me mm. right uh, writing is a very tedious process mm. whereas you could put me up in front of ten thousand people and it's just like words just go i'm not uh. necessarily not that they necessarily make sense all the time <laughs> but like writing to me is just like god it's not fast enough you know i have to write i'll be writing later the intro for this show that mm. we're doing right now and i the show comes out on tuesdays by mm -hmm. the way which you'll be notified of it'll be probably in a month or so and every Monday night, my show producer, Tati, will text me and be like, dude, intro. <laughs> She's trying to like upload the show. I'm like, oh God, actually, I just had to write one early this morning for the show that came out today. Right. And I'm just, I dread doing the writing. And once I'm, you know, once I do it, I'm like, oh, that was nothing. But mm -hmm. for some reason, it's just this laborious thing. So I have a lot of respect for people that are able to write. And based on the amount, not just your book, but the amount of content that you put out of written content, you obviously have an aptitude for it because you're very productive. What do they call that? Prolific. That's the word. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I really like the name, the numinous, you know, which is of course the name of your site and your social media. And when I first heard that, I don't even remember where I first did, but I was like, oh, that's cool. She made up like a neat name. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. It sounds, uh, ominous, luminous, illuminati, I don't know, something that's just like a cool sounding word. And then today I was doing some research and there actually is a definition of that which is unknown or unknowable. Mm. And I love that definition. It's mm. almost like an ambiguous definition of God in a sense. That's exactly what numinous means to me anyway. And really um, 
I first heard the word in conversation with an astro astrological mentor of mine back when I was, before I'd even had the idea for this becoming a platform of any kind, I was just kind of interested in, in investigating um, and furthering my own astrological studies. That's something I'd always been really interested in. And she used this word in conversation and it was one of those moments of just like, I just felt electrified and she gave me that definition of it, um, that which is unknown or unknowable. And in relation to astrology or relation to any kind of like mystical studies, I suppose, for me, it really speaks to anything that comes within the realm of our human experience that we can't necessarily define with words. We can only sense it or feel it or just sort of know it. It's that indefinable part of being human that is quite unquantifiable. I mean, you said that your yeah. previous guest today was a guy who quantifies his every Bob, action. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what he would have to say about the numinous aspects of life, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of one of my favorite terms for that same thing is the unseen hand. Mm. And that's something that I often use when I'm uh, amongst company that might be put off by like the word God. I use the word God all the time just because it's short and convenient, but it is such a loaded word for some yeah. people. I think for me, because I wasn't brought up with any sort of spirituality or by any means religion, it's like I have no problem like, oh, God, yeah, I pray to God. There's a God. <laughs> you know, it's like there's no issue. But other people, you can almost feel them bristle when you say that word. So I often say, and there's some other terms that kind of corny to me, like, oh, the universe, like the universe is telling <laughs> me to do this or that. It's like, well, is the I think of the universe more as like, space mm. you know so i'm like oh space is telling you to like mm. adopt a dog like mm. what? you know what i mean but the unseen hand is sort of like hmm it's just interesting and yes, the numinous kind really of reminds cool. me of that i might just start using numinous i do use numiverse <laughs> but numiverse cool. kind of speaks to everything within the realm of like what i do and my right. my community that i built and the work that i do but yeah, maybe I'll just start using numinous when I'm speaking to God. I'm not a fan of the G word. And it's interesting because I was brought up in a completely non-religious household. There was no connection to that kind of side of life, really. And I think it's one of the reasons I was so attracted to astrology when I first learned about it as a child. It was the first opportunity I'd had to really think of myself as part of something bigger, like so, some sort of like a cosmic force, I suppose. Um, but yeah, for some reason... I've never been able to use the word God because I don't feel it's in my lexicon. It's not in my lineage almost. It's not right. part of me. So it doesn't make any, doesn't have any meaning for right. me. Well, what I find interesting about you and your work because, and we're obviously going to get into all of the stuff that you're so, uh, that you promote and use like astrology and all this stuff. I mean, your approach to me is, is pretty like woo woo. You know I mean? Like you're, <laughs> you know, you're fashionable, your branding's on point. Like you come from fashion. We're going to talk about all that, but especially for a British person, <laughs> Most British people I know are a little bit like, hey, come on, mate, you know, oh, spiritual. I mean, I have, I've had quite a few British friends over the years, and they seem to be, um, generally speaking, a bit more skeptical than, you know, some other cultures might be. So yeah. it's interesting that you were attracted to that kind of like mystical stuff, even from an early age. But it's interesting. I think, I mean, we have Glastonbury in England, right? And there's so much mythology and mystical mythology throughout kind of like English folklore and English history. And yet you're absolutely right. There's a much more skeptical kind of cynical attitude about anything non-scientific and anything that might be deemed a bit woo-woo. Well, part of, a big part of my mission is to be unashamedly woo-woo and in in kind of go, well, yes, this is part of my human experience as much as all of these other kind of material um, quantifiable parts of life. This is as equally as important to me and I, equally real to me. 
And to all of us, I think, it's just that we don't place any attention or importance on it because it's often seen as woo-woo, weird, fringe, out there, like all of these things. And so my um, unashamedly woo-woo stance is part of my mission, really. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I, me too. I mean, I'm learning how to become less apologetic about who I am and yeah. what I believe and the mm. type of lifestyle that I practice, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. at times, even in California, even mm. to some people in Hollywood, I'm a little out there, you know, <laughs> right. you know? and so, I mean, depending on what circles, like, and, yeah. and I want to go into, you know, your fashion history, yeah. but when I was in that industry, uh, which was 17 years, mm. a lot of people thought a lot of the things that I was into were really weird, you know, mm. but I, I think with the British culture, it's, it's interesting because, uh, my first introduction really was uh, going over there years ago. This is like back in the early 2000s and I was in a band and somehow we developed a little following in the UK. Mm -hmm. Like we couldn't get arrested anywhere else in the world, but in the UK we got a little record deal and it, we were kind of popular. Do you, do you know that um, the DJ Bob Harris whispering Bob yeah, Harris on the BBC? That rings a bell, he, yeah. a, he hosted a show in the 70s called the Old Grey Whistle Test. Okay. Which was like, dude, they had like Bowie and T-Rex and John Lennon and, He's a fantastic, like really iconic DJ. Somehow he got a hold of like our CD or whatever and started mm. playing it. So anyway, I get over there and we would play these shows. And most of our fan base, unfortunately for me, were like older males with beards, like dudes that still listen to Bob <laughs> Dylan and stuff, you know, because we were kind of alt country, like yeah. really American roots rock, like mm. Americana. Mm. And I think that's why we were popular there. It was like so mm. purely American mm. music. Anyway, the moral of that story is that we would go and like people afterward would want us to sign CDs and stuff like that and congratulate us on the gig. And I would just intuitively, I'd go to hug these guys, you know, and they were just not having it. <laughs> it took me a couple of weeks to figure out, I was like, oh, I think like these guys think if you hug them, you're gay or something. I don't know what was the problem, but it's like, yeah. I quickly learned like it's not a touchy feely like situation over there, you know? So I'm, I'm actually still like, kind of cognizant of that when i meet mm. like a british guy i'm like you know i'm like should we shake are you cool with a little pat on the back hug or it's funny so uh, it's interesting that you kind of went went this route mm. so speaking of route um mm. so you studied at the uh, london college of fashion and you had a career in magazines uh -huh. and journalism for a long yes. time while you were working in that industry were you sort of like a closeted spiritual mystic person or did you have some you know, um, dark night of the soul sort of experience that really drove you into this stuff heavily? Or was it just a gradual well, like, curiosity? You talk about the, you know, the dark night of the soul. And I mentioned in my book that for a lot of people, an interest in the numinous side of life is often accompanied or comes after a, some kind of like a breakdown situation, some kind of a rock bottom moment when like you're like all the questions you have about life are suddenly not being answered by all of the boxes that you're dutifully ticking here on the outside world. You've got the great career, you've got a relationship, you're financially secure, like you're healthy. Then something breaks down, one of those things falls apart and all of a sudden it's like, well, whoa, what's going on here? There's like something else is happening. But for me, I, and I guess there were elements of that, but it wasn't like a big kind of, it, it certainly didn't, it, from the outside, it wouldn't have looked like anything crazy happened in my life. To backtrack a bit, I had always been super fascinated by all things mystical. And the more I've been speaking about this with people, I'm like, what kid isn't? 
what kid doesn't love to dress up, for example, and experiment with being, diff playing, being different characters or, or experiment with kind of like expressing different parts of themselves? What kid doesn't believe in the fairies at the end of the garden and spend hours playing with them? What kid doesn't make mud pies and imagine and fantasize that they're creating beautiful banquets? Like, all kids are very connected to that side That's of life, that in-scene yeah, side of life, I right? I never thought about it like that, especially <laughs> if you look at um, films that are directed toward children too yes. I mean, look at something like harry potter or something exactly. like that exactly right? yeah. or all the disney like there's always yeah. fairies and genies and like kind of hidden doors so into weird. alternate realms i it's honestly like, never made that correlation kids are totally like they're all in the woo like all the time yeah. um and it, uh, as we go through life we're taught that that's not real that that's not going to get us what we need in life that it's not important to place any so like most kids i kind of like grew out of it and pursued this very materialistic career in fashion and was very successful and found myself in my dream job working at the Sunday Times newspaper on their style supplement um, and, and just loving it and thrilled with myself. I've, I've done it all. I've, I've got the job. I've got the man. I was happily married and still am. And had, the same guy? Re had recently bought a house and, you know, everything was like tick, tick, tick. And yet a couple of years in, I just became aware of this deep, deep, deep sense of unfulfillment and this gnawing sense on the inside that like none of this means anything how many years Whoa. in was that when you started to well i guess it was it was a couple of it was say like two years into having landed what at the time was my dream job and it's a, it's a similar feeling that i'd experienced every time i got a new job i'd be thrilled in the beginning and love it a couple of years in and i just thought it was that i was getting bored and i wasn't being challenged but in this job, I was challenged to the hilt. Like it was everything I wanted to do professionally. It was very, very full on, very satisfying in terms of kind of like the work I was doing. But still this sense of dissatisfaction, this sense that something was missing, this sense of unfulfillment, as I said. And I was devastated because I really thought like, whoa, <laughs> if this isn't it, then like, where do I go from here? Oh my God. And that's when... I decided that I wanted to find something on the side to kind of like be a passion project, I suppose. I was like, okay, I've reached that stage in life where I need like a hobby or like a passion project or something. It's a stage in life that a lot of people I think have kids. I knew I didn't want to be a mom. I knew I didn't want to have children. So Why not? I just never, I just never felt the maternal urge. That's so funny. You might be the first woman I've ever met that right. never felt that. Yeah. Do you, do you, I don't know if you openly discuss your age. Would you mind saying? I'm 41. You're 41. Uh -huh. Okay. And it still didn't hit. I've, at at I've various points in my life, I got married at 27. I'm like, okay. come on now. And then when I turned 30, I'm like, this is the age. This is the age. And then when yeah. I turned 35, I was like, okay, clock's going to be ticking. And yeah. tumbleweed. Was like, <laughs> That's no. funny. Crickets. <laughs> no. Okay. No. Well, but it's yeah, funny I mean, because it's, I've, I've, you know known and dated women that are maybe in their late 20s and early 30s like oh i'm never never ever want kids i'm like perfect me either and then like <laughs> one day on their 33rd birthday they're like mm, guess what we're breaking up i need kids tomorrow you know yeah uh, but i i relate yeah. to that because I, I actually have never i mean i used to be like pretty adamant about the adamant about the idea that i did not want to have kids but now it's more neutral and i'm open to the idea but i literally have never had the thought in my life like you know what I want to have a couple kids or I see a dad walking down the street. I go, good for him. That's great for him. I still like have not had, man, I oh, want ideal. that. You yeah. know, like I see a lot of other things in life, uh, 
And I go, oh, yeah, I'd like to have that for myself, whether it's, I don't know, an aspect of one's career or mm. a, mm. a non-material possession or mm. a quality of character. Or in some kind of an adventure. Yeah, or like yeah. Start where somebody lives in some place interesting. I go, oh, man, wow, I'd like to live in Bali some of this, you know, whatever like that. But I, I really have never had the, the desire. So it's, it's interesting. I've met a lot of men like that, but you yes. might be one of the first women. Yes, and it is uncommon. And I have been asked by many editors throughout my life to write about this strange, <laughs> this strange, strange phenomenon. The strange phenomenon of not wanting to have children. But um, so, yeah, I knew that that wasn't. And I think that a lot of people see maybe come up against this feeling of like unfulfillment. But having ticked all of the kind of external career, relationship, like financial security, whatever. Have your girlfriends uh, that are married and have kids and your family like hassled you and try and brainwash you? Some. to manifesting that desire? Yes, some. Luckily, my my mom's super understanding um, and yeah she gets it Do you have brothers and sisters that so my younger brother he desperately wanted to have children he turned 35 and he's like i need to do this i'm and really really wanted to and i now have a two and a half year old nephew which is great and <laughs> i love being auntie ruby and like yeah, he's yeah. super cute but even and then i was really thinking again this is going to be the point like when i see the nephew and the thing he looks mm-hmm. exact he looks the most like me out the nephew looks more like me than like anyone else in the family so i really like if it was ever gonna like really kick in like having this little gorgeous little boy who looks just like me but still it's like that's not i have you ever had a dog i see my life no i have i've always had cats okay yeah because uh i I i was in a relationship and we were together for five years and about three years in she eventually wore me down to get a dog and I thought okay this is great I'll be able to get the dog and like I'll get out of the kid thing (laughs) (laughs) and as soon as we got the dog she was like dog's cute now I want a kid kid. (laughs) yeah I was like it actually had the opposite effect she's like (laughs) it awakened the mother energy in her and she was like yeah no I need I need more (laughs) more objects of love in my life so um Mm -hmm. that's interesting so okay so you didn't hit like you know an acute bottom like where you became an alcoholic or you crashed a car or something crazy like that it wasn't like a big accident there was no loss there was nothing like that that really made me question the meaning of life which happens for many people obviously who find themselves on some kind of a spiritual path but there was definitely yeah just this deep sense of unfulfillment um and that's when i like i said i decided i was gonna find something to be a passion project and realized that actually astrology had been something i'd always been really fascinated by uh, at much deeper level than than most people I knew and that I wanted to study that and perhaps I would maybe long term think about a career being an astrologer or or I don't know I just didn't I didn't really place any pressure on what this thing would be it was just something to kind of like speak to my my passion I suppose. Were you living in the states yet at this time? No I was living in London this was around 2010 late 2010 maybe so I started being mentored by our, our resident astrologer at the Sunday Times and as I said, she was the first person who used this word numinous in conversation. And as soon as she said the word, I saw it on the cover of a magazine and I was like, this was, it, it was a real light bulb moment. I can remember exactly where we were sitting. And I was just like, there is nothing as far as I can see that bridges the gap between this whole mystical world. Because she's like, her name's Shelley Von Strunkel and she's an incredible woman. She's super knowledgeable about every mystical tradition, has traveled the world and met all the gurus. And so not only was she mentoring me about astrology, but she was filling my head with all these amazing stories about, and it was like all these different light bulbs going on as I was like, oh yeah, there's some meaning here. There's some meaning here. And it's speaking to me loud and clear. But I realized there wasn't really any kind of a publication that bridged the gap between this very kind of aesthetic, beautiful, chic 
magazine world that I come from and this kind of mystical world. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe I could do something like that. But didn't actually start working on it until at least a couple of years later, by which time my husband had um, got a job in New York. So I kind of, because there was, even though I was deeply unhappy in the magazine job, there's no way I was ever going to leave because I was so conditioned into believing that this was the be all and end all for me career-wise. This is everything I ever wanted. I totally relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> Only it took me 17 years to figure okay. it out. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting over here kind of green with envy. Yeah. That it took you a few, you know, a couple of few years. You're like, yeah, I'm not satisfied. I think I, yeah, I got, yeah. I got locked myself in for a bit longer than that. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? How we can override consistently those, the, the inner voice that's saying, no, this isn't it. Because if we've been conditioned heavily enough to believe that this plus this equals life satisfaction. Well, I think we, also it's, in, in my experience, it's also just an immense amount of self-doubt about the, my ability to just invent something else, mm -hmm. you know, even though like for me, mm -hmm. I had started a successful business, which I still own a fashion school and, mm -hmm. but it was still kind of in that same world. But I would look at other people in the field that I'm now mm -hmm. sort of emerging and I'd be like, God, man, how do they do that? I wish I could do that. Oh, well, I'm not <laughs> like them, you know, do, 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 do. Yeah. I guess I'll just keep what I'm doing. And then yeah. I don't know, eventually through the encouragement of some people in that field and my friends, I was like, Oh God, well, maybe I just start a little podcast. I mean, just, you know, a passion project, not mm -hmm. even a business really mm -hmm, or anything like mm -hmm. that, but just, I want to sit down and talk to people like mm -hmm. you and share all of my discoveries. And then, and then it started to become a thing. And I was like, Oh, I guess I'm kind of good at this. You know, it's like unbeknownst to me. So when you got the idea, like, Hmm, I kind of want to lean in that direction. Did you have to work through um, any degree of self doubt and yes. not being like competent or credible yes. in this other area yes hugely even though i had like a really successful career like almost 20 years working in magazines i didn't believe that i could create my own publication it was largely down to not believing that i had to have it look a certain way before i could launch it it had to have certain amount of investment i had to have all of this kind of like team set up i had to ha it had to look this way before i could actually begin it and what I've realized since is that, no, you have to begin it. And then how it's going to look kind of like reveals itself Such a powerful as you begin lesson. to walk the path. Such a powerful Huge. lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I always actually teach my students at School of Style that principle. Mm. It was described to me by an entrepreneur friend of mine as uh, when I first got the idea to start my fashion school, I had the name School of Style. I was like, mm. perfect, great name, mm. you know, and I knew what I wanted to teach. And I had a body of knowledge and mm -hmm. experience from being in that industry at that point for 10 years. Mm. Um, but I thought, well, I need to get the workbooks and I need a PowerPoint and I need a staff and a business license and this and that and that. And I told my friend that and he goes, dude, it's never going to happen by the, the, the method uh, with which you're approaching it. And I said, well, what do I do? I mean, I have a list of things I have to get done. Mm. He said, no, your problem, Luke, is that you're doing the fire aim ready technique. Mm. And what you need mm. to do if you really want to be successful no, he said, he said, you're doing that. Yeah, you're doing the ready, aim, fire. If you want to be successful, you have to adopt the fire, aim, ready approach, you know? Yeah. And so he convinced me, he said, dude, <laughs> just book the class, start taking money. And when people pay you, you'll blow the money. You won't be able to refund them. It'll force you to make the class. If you have the class, then you'll have to have a location. Then you'll have to build a website. Then you'll do the workbooks and the PowerPoint. And that's exactly what yes. happened. I put an yeah. ad out like 12 people signed up for the class and I was like, oh shit, 
I, need, I really needed the money. I did. Like he said, I blew. Oh, I don't blow the money, you but I spent the money. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't give people a refund. There was no money to refund. And then it made me like, oh, mm -hmm. man, the date's coming up. And that pressure sort of forced me into starting. It. And here I am almost nine years later. And that's, yeah, right. you know, how I eat. Yeah, very cool. You know, so, yeah, the fire aim ready. It's sort of like the, the principle of just jumping off the cliff and then figuring out how to work the parachute you know that kind of thing instead of sitting on the top of the cliff for 10 years trying to yeah, like, like learn the ins and out yeah. what are the instructions yeah. the instructions are in a different yeah. language oh no so did you yes. have did you have a moment where you just sort of like all right i'm doing well, this off the cliff firstly it was um my husband getting an opportunity with in to move to new york so that yeah. was kind of like okay well what business is he in he works in hotels oh, okay cool um and so that was the moment of like, okay, well, you can either, he goes to New York and starts this fabulous new adventure and you can stay here in this job that you're not really that into anymore. Um, okay, so it's almost like the, sorry, I was going to say the universe. It's almost like Numinous had to give me something so enticing as like a move to New York with a visa all sorted and done <laughs> for me to go, okay, yeah, I'll leave this and I'll, tr I'll try that thing then. Um, and then when I got here, I kind of started doing some loose research around this idea, I guess, and I, did, I still didn't put anything online for about a year, but it was similarly, I had, you know, someone introduced me to an astrologer who was the first person I told about the idea here, and this being New York, she straight away was like, oh yeah, you're doing it, it's happening, we're having a meeting with these people next week, I was like, okay, we're doing it. And when she says we're having a meeting, it was like, you know, just a little brainstorm with some other friends. And it kind of just went from there. I was like, okay, it's happening now. It's just, a, it's already, it had already become a thing just by speaking it. And then I started slowly putting a few stories up and yeah, but it's been, I mean, it has, and it, it still feels like my passion project. And it's actually only recently that I really began to think, okay, it needs to actually pay my rent now because I can't be doing it. It's, taking <laughs> yeah, it's not really feeling. happening on the side anymore it's like it's everything yeah. it's taking up all my time and then some so it actually needs to start earning me I, a living yeah <laughs> I, I understand the first thing i did with my show was i put up like a donations page which by the way you guys listening you can still find that at mookstore.com <laughs> forward slash support i don't really promote it because mm -hmm. i'm have a couple advertisers mm -hmm, now and stuff mm -hmm. but yeah it's crazy when you do something like this and it's a labor of love like and like for me i'm a year in i'm like wow it, there is a lot to the labor part oh, you yeah. know it's like at first it's just love and then you're like wait how many hours do i exactly. spend on this a week you know yes. and there's only did Majority you ever, of hours. this is another one did you ever are you currently even um feeling not so much the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome of like oh i don't know if i have the authority to you know speak on these topics or do whatever you're doing but um was there ever any misgivings about monetizing it and like creating wealth and like really building a business based on something that is more in the mystical and spiritual and esoteric realm where there's like a disconnect between the spiritual pursuit and money has that been a thing you've had to work yes. your head around yes i guess it's a difficult one to answer <sighs> You know what I mean? It's like, a, like, like cashing in on, yeah, on, on the trend of spirituality or in something. In a way, you know? in a way. Although I've always seen what I, the work I actually do and the product I have created is a publisher. It's a content platform. It's yeah. a magazine. It's not yeah. like I'm offering healing to anybody. Right. And I think that a lot of people working in the spiritual space who are healers come up against that in a much more sort of like real way. As right. in like, this is a gift. And I want to heal this person and I want to share this gift. And it, there's some kind of like 
belief system, which I think is becoming very outmoded, that, that's, that it's not okay to charge for that, you know? Um, whereas I definitely see this as a publishing arm. I see it in the same light as I would see a company like Vogue or, you know, it's like a Condé Nast. Like, right. how do they make their money? By advertising. Right. That's the way you put the content out there. Sure. And what I can do is choose to only work with sponsors that I feel are completely aligned with my mission and totally. my message. Totally. And it, I guess in a way it's taken this long for me to be able to think about monetizing the platform in that way because there just haven't really been that many brands that are actually as aligned with my mission as could actually support it. But literally in the past couple of years, I'm seeing so many more petite brands come through that have a really, really great message and a really interesting mission and are speaking my numinous language who I can now begin to partner with. So it's all happening super organically. And I think one thing I'm thankful for, in fact, in the way that I, you know, I did, I'd really weighed up the whole kind of like, well, I could go out and get a bunch of investment for this and do it that way. And there was a point quite early on where a bigger media company wanted to buy the platform and for it to exist as part of their platform. And I walked away from that. And I, I really am very grateful that I didn't ever put the pressure on it to become my financial support before it was ready. And it's yeah. really allowed it to blossom extremely organically yeah. and to really have so much integrity to, to the point now that it, it has, you know, it's very authentic and, it's, and I think people can feel that. I think people can also feel the dedication that you have when it's not about making money, that it really is a labor of love. Because mm -hmm. I didn't, I mean, other than like here and there saying, hey, you know, if you feel like donating, it would help me pay for my sound editor. But it wasn't like a big push or anything. And I really had nothing to sell. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, I don't sell anything. I mean, I That's still really I don't. I mean, I do, I do, <laughs> uh, I do coaching with people and I yes. sometimes will do a plug for that on my show if, unless I already have too many people, which mostly I do. But, uh, but I think that it served me to sort of like, it wasn't about selling anything. It was really like, I'm excited about these cool people that I find in the world, these great teachers. And I literally want to make sure that as many people as possible hear someone mm -hmm. like Ruby. Mm -hmm. And I think the audience really can feel that sincerity and that authenticity. And then at a certain point, trust is gained. For me, it was about a year. I was like, okay, I think I'm okay at this. Creeping up on a million downloads. Like someone's listening yeah. to this shit. So... Now, I think I can kind of move into another phase where hopefully I can actually get paid for my time yeah. at some point because I'm yes. spending, you know, literally I spend probably six to eight hours per episode, probably more than that with everything all in. Now, and it, this sort of like... So do you think you're kind of reaching the point now where you're like, okay, cool, I've, I've sort of proven myself and I've created enough value here and enough yes. meaningful content where it's like, yes. okay, it's time to get paid. Yes, definitely. And I really, I think, you know, a conversation that happens in spiritual communities a lot is about the energy exchange and, and money and financial reward just being part of an energy exchange. And actually, if you're putting so much out, so much out, so much out, and you're not receiving in return, then it's an unequal there's an indiscrepancy there, you know? <laughs> you just described my podcast. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's, it's so, was also so new. I've been doing this for almost like, well, at least four years okay, now, right, you know? Right. I guess yeah, it's I am still new. quite I just new hit as a well. Year. I just hit a year. Okay, that's you know? really, really new. Yeah. yeah. But that's, the th I mean, when you did yours, when you started your deal, was it like, were you unsure if it was really going to fly, if people oh, were going to yeah. respond? I mean, oh, yeah. I didn't know I was going to be doing this a year later. I yeah. hoped so, but it was just like, well, let me put a few out. And yeah, and I think that's one thing that happens. stopped me from launching it because I was, I felt so in love with this idea. I felt so protective of it almost that I didn't want to put it out there and it 
bomb and me to have uh, how gone, like, heartbreaking yeah yeah like, <laughs> literally have my heart broken so and if, and i was since very you're, you're personally contributing so much of the writing and the mm. content and really curating i'm assuming you know the a large part of the branding and kind of the mm. whole position oh, of the yeah. whole thing so mm-hmm. exactly if it, if it fails it's really a rejection of like everything that you are in a sense you know or at least you're artistic and it can and feel soul that way you know? totally exactly have yeah. you had any <laughs> like trolls or negative feedback uh, when you released your book or things that you're putting out online or anything like that? Very little. And I'm so thankful. Thank you, Numinous. Thank you, Numiverse. But no, really very, very little, which has been, it's been great. With the book, what I've experienced and particularly there was very little response in the UK, which was hurtful because it's my hometown. It's my people. It's kind of like, but I think there's that additional layer of cynicism there. And I just think that people were either a bit like, oh, what's that? Didn't really understand. Um, but who knows? I just, that, so that was kind of, that was hurtful in a way. And it was kind of just, um, it was um, unexpected. But I'm getting a really great response here. So I'm kind of yeah. like, okay, cool. I'll speak to my people here. Yeah. That's great. That's fine. There was actually one thing, and I will mention it because it's kind of quite funny. <laughs> I was quoted in a piece in the New York Times about crystal therapy um, coming into the mainstream. It was like literally one teeny quote from me. <laughs> I want to talk about in that. A huge long, in a huge long piece, one tiny quote from me. And I noticed the week, the magazine The Week um, had picked up on it and someone had written this deeply, deeply cynical and very um, aggressively negative piece about how the tragic people who think they can find solace and crystal healing and like how deluded these individuals are and chose to single me out as like... (laughs) Um, me and my book, this crystal seekers Bible. And it was not even the main. Point, there's right? one chapter on crystals, oh, okay, and okay. I even opened that chapter by saying, "I didn't know if I was going to include this chapter because I don't know if I believe in crystal therapy." Right. And it was just, re- it was. At first, I was devastated because he was really very attacking of me personally yeah. and my journey in his piece. But then I was just like, this is kind of kind of hilarious as well. And as my husband, who has worked in marketing for many years, said, you know, people are talking about you. That's a good thing. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I, yeah. um, I, I, too, have been fortunate not to, at least that I've noticed, be um, hated too much. But in the beginning, there was one video that was released, and it got trolled heavily, I think, largely mm. due to the fact that it was a released on a platform where no one was into the shit I was talking about. Right. Um, but I had the same thing as your husband. It's in, and I related it to Howard Stern. Um, Howard Stern, in, in his book and in his movie, tells a story about one of his early program directors when he first went on the air, and he was this you know radical personality and was very flamboyant and uh, used a lot of sexual innuendo and was very inappropriate. Mm. I mean, at that mm. time when he came out, like no one was on the radio like that. He was yeah. like the sex pistols of DJs, you know? And uh, there was this scene in the movie where his program director comes in and all the phones are lighting up and there's just all this buzz about him being on the air. And basically they, uh, they realized that 50% of the people listening absolutely hate him and they got all these hate <laughs> calls and everything like this. And then 50% liked him and the program director's like, yeah, but Howard, they're all listening, even the ones that hate you. And that's the realization I had with my the video Very that got trolled cool. really hard. Yes. Is because like a lot of yes. the, com- it was all about health and biohacking and stuff. And some of the comments were like about things that I talked about two plus hours into the video. Huh. 
Because I was yeah. like, oh, pastured egg yolks are really good for you. And then people are like, you idiot, you <laughs> egg yolks aren't good for you. I was like, wait, I talked about that at like one hour, 45 <laughs> minutes. So unless you fast forwarded, like you sat Found there and bit. just hated me the whole two hours. And I was like, yes, it's a win. If you can at least be engaging enough to- If you can to, cause a reaction. Know. I mean, I think as a content creator, that's like, that's what it's all about. Causing a debate, starting a conversation. And which is why I think that, you know, the the lack of response in the UK was almost more painful because it was just like this kind of, oh, you just didn't, you just didn't even see me. Okay. Like your book tried to <laughs> hug them and they were like, no, yes, we're good. <laughs> yes, basically. My book was like, hi, guys. I've been to America and this happened and everyone's like, uh, yeah. Well, I, in regard to your book, your, the title, Material Girl, Mystical World, The Now Age Guide to a High Vibe Life, like the cover of your book and the title of your book are so beautiful and on point. But I have to admit, because we just met, I've yet to read it. Normally, if I book a guest, like I at least do cliff notes of their book mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. scan it for questions and mm-hmm, kind of get mm-hmm. their vibe. So I'm going to have to read it after this. But Very um, cool. But I love the title and I also love Thank just... You. Looking at your site, that your vision was a space where Celine shoes and the Celestine uh, prophecy could exist in beautiful harmony. What did you mean by that? Well, I think there is and there has long been um, a misconception the way I see it, that in order to identify as a spiritual being or to um, be invested in, you know, looking at your inner life, your spiritual life, your emotional life, there is some kind of necessary rejection of all material things. Um, and that has not been my experience at all. I've also described the book as Sex in the City meets Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> that's cool, that's cool, Because <laughs> in Eat, Pray, Love, she kind of, you know, she goes to meditate on an ashram in India for three months and has this spiritual awakening. For me, it happened when I I moved. might be one of the only straight dudes in the planet that read that book. I actually know that book. I love <laughs> that funny. book so much. Um, it's like not a dude book, though. It's not really, really a dude you know? book. But I liked it. I liked no. it. She's a great yeah, writer. For sure. She's a really engaging storyteller. Great writer. Yeah. Apart from anything else, you yeah. know? Um, and for me, it happened when I, I moved to the heart. I moved to New York City, the like literally the heart of the capitalist American dream, and had my spiritual awakening here. And I have never believed that, you know, it just never really sat with me that in order to, I was like, why can I not have both? <laughs> isn't that what having it all? Isn't that actually balance? Isn't that also the world that we live in? So the title of the book is Material Girl, Mystical World. And people often say it the other way around. And I'm kind of like, it does actually work both ways because I am equally a material being of flesh and blood who feels excited at the thought of a new beautiful pair of shoes as I am a spiritual being who wants to merge with the oneness of the universe and save the world. Do you know what I mean? It's like I am both those things. And so I really wanted to, to to, to let people know that it's okay to still want beautiful things in your life and to aspire to, to experience material abundance whilst also having a deep connection to yourself as a spiritual being. And I think that, you know, our society places 90%, if not all, of the importance um, on the material. We're taught from a very young age that success, happiness, achievement, fulfillment comes from the attainment of all of these material things. And that's why for so many people, they reach a point where they have attained a lot of these things, and it's kind of like, no, this isn't it. Oh, shit. And that's for when, you know, a lot of people may turn to substances. And certainly, you know, we touched on this, but 
the period while I was kind of like struggling with this existential crisis in my old job, I definitely was self-medicating with alcohol and other drugs as a way to kind of like, this is all fabulous, isn't it? Yeah, this is like great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, in the fashion industry, it's it's easy to do that too. Yeah. I mean, the same thing like yeah. in, in Hollywood, it's it's very normal. No one thinks you're strange if you're partying a lot. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's almost encouraged. Yeah, it used exactly. to be like when I, I first got sober 20 years ago, it was like, it was really weird to be sober. And it was like, it was like embarrassing. You had to kind of be in the closet. I mm. never, I mean, you know, out like at a, a rap party after a mm-hmm. music video or commercial shoot mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm, like that. And mm-hmm. hey, let's have drinks. Luke, have mm-hmm. a drink. I was like, no, mm. I'm good. What, dude? You don't want to drink? Like, come on, come on. And I'd find like, dude, I don't, I don't drink. I'm sober. You know, mm. it was like, it was, it wasn't like out like it is now, which I'm yeah. thankful for, you know, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I, uh, I think that that's, it's probably more uh, prevalent and accessible for people in certain industries. You know what I mean? If you work at the bank, like, and you kind of drink to medicate, that shit's going to be kind of hidden, yeah. you know, or your doctor or something like that. Whereas like in those industries, it's almost encouraged. Oh, it's know? encouraged and it's celebrated. And yeah. in some, in many ways expected, like you said, particularly in the UK and journalism is another one of those careers. I mean, I was, I was writing something about this recently. I mean, it's literally one of those jobs where, it sounds so fa- it sounds so fabulous, but actually, it's setting you up for serious alcohol dependency. You're invited to things where it's like free drinks on tap, night after night after night after right, night. Right, right. I even said this to my husband the other day. Neither of us drink anymore, and um, it, we both agreed. It was like, yeah, because he used to work in nightclubs and music PR when I first met him, and I was working in journalism. So literally, every night of the week, there was some opportunity to drink for free as much as we wanted. I was like, if we'd have had to pay for all those drinks. We wouldn't have drunk nearly as much as we did. Well, that's just which just sounds so kind of like ridiculously privileged in a way, but at the same time, it's like it caused so many problems for both of us. Culturally, in the UK, <laughs> it's just so much part of life there too. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first started going there, I thought it was so strange that the pubs are full at like four, three, four p.m. People are like getting pissed drunk already in the afternoon. Yeah. That would only be like an old wino bar in the states. Yeah, like right. it's like ew, gross. Yeah. Like you would be judged if you really drink. But they also you know, finish the drinking by eleven there. That's what here. It's that's like. what was weird too we would go play these shows and they'd be like okay cool then they'd turn the lights on it'd be yeah, like 10 like at night yeah like, i'm oh. like um <laughs> we're trying to party here what the fuck is wrong yeah. with you people what kind of bar is this yeah it's strange i remember going to ireland and uh and i was you know already sober when i went there and stuff and i thought that it was strange getting to know some people there and that like what i would consider to be like a, a, a clinically diagnosed alcoholic there like you have to be so far gone in ireland to be like considered an alcoholic and Mm -hmm. seek treatment Mm -hmm. like being an alcoholic is pretty much the norm Mm -hmm. and then if you're like a massive massive alcoholic then you're just like a garden variety alcoholic yeah weird observation just you know yeah having hung out with some people there i was like dude a lot of people have problems here and too many people there it's like oh no this is just like this is normal. Yeah. Which is trippy. So um, you said when you came to New York, you had a spiritual awakening. Was that, uh, was that over the course of a period of time or did you have an aha moment, the room filled with light kind of experience? Well, I guess I'd already recognized through my dipping a toe into this kind of numinous subject area that my, my soul, some, uh, some kind of a connection to like my soul because all of a sudden there was this sense of like aliveness, which I hadn't experienced in a long time. You know, mm-hmm. I'd also had my very first experiences of meditation around the same time. Like Shelley von Strunkel, the astrologer, was also teaching some meditation sessions, and I'd experienced that with her. And 
for the first time really as an adult with the kind of like intellectual understanding of what was happening, I connected to that part of myself, the numinous spirit soul part of myself. And I realized I hadn't been connected to that in any way, shape or form up until that point and had probably been seeking that connection through alcohol as well. Let's face it. And other drugs, because those are transcendent mystical experiences oh, that sure. we have in those altered states, you know, and I think, it's another, I think it's another reason <laughs> that those altered states are so appealing is because we're actually craving a connection to that transcendent numinous part of ourselves. We can get there with substances. Um, with side effects too. <laughs> you could say that was an awakening of sorts. But I think what happened when I moved to New York and began investigating from a kind of journalistic perspective what this scene was all about, I started going to seances and breathwork sessions and crazy Kundalini yoga classes and having like really quite a psychedelic time. You just investigating, my daily life. <laughs> investigating these numinous depths. Right, right. And so that was when I guess the awakening really kind of like got dialed up a few notches. And it was like, oh, wow, there's this whole part of myself that I have just not been connected to and yet makes me feel so alive and joyful and inspired. And this is it. This is this is life. You know, this is it happening right now. Do you and still so, practice any of those things? Oh, I do it all. You do? <laughs> Not that it's interesting. I'd say, you know, I'm I am a journalist and I definitely approach life in that way. I sample a lot of things. Yeah. And I kind of particularly when I was writing my book, I mean, when you read it, you'll realize you'll see that um it's kind of an introduction to lots of these different subject matter through the lens of my personal experiences. So I was really like diving in deep with all this stuff um, during the book writing process. And so, yeah, it kind of like comes and goes. The things that have stuck. I mean, I, I do transcendental meditation and I oh, do that nice. every day. And my astrological your, you, studies Do you get your twice a day, 20 minutes in still? I know. I don't do the <laughs> afternoon one. The afternoon one is tough. It's tough. You know what's weird about Because I do Vedic, which is a similar Same, tradition. Yeah. Uh, and the afternoon one, my first two years or so, it was just like clockwork every day, mm. six o'clock. I'm like, time to meditate mm -hmm, now, drop mm -hmm. in. But I tell you, man, when I got out of the habit of the afternoon one, uh, not that I never do. I mean, there's a lot mm. of days where I do. Mm. Uh, and I meditate a lot of bonus rounds and stuff, but mm -hmm. I was really on the schedule for a while. But what happened for me is like, I hit a flow state usually around like 6, 6.37 p.m. That's when I'm like super starting to wake up. Whereas mm. like the rest of the day, I'm sort of dragging ass mm, sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, just like a night person. So I'll be like right now, I have a, an alarm on my phone that goes up at 6.30 and that's like my second meditation. I always turn off. I'm like, I can't. I'm like kicking ass right now. And if I <laughs> meditate, it's, I'll get super mellow and then I won't want to dive back into work that night. Mm. And my days start like usually 11 or so. I start mm -hmm, doing actual mm -hmm, work, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've been struggling with that. Um, well, the afternoon one, it's interesting. Just this past couple of weeks, I'm actually um, taking our mutual friend, Sardif Simone's eight-week meditation teacher oh, cool. training. Cool. Um, because I, you know, I do find myself leading all kinds of workshops and things now, right. which I never saw in my path, but it's just something that comes as part and parcel of, of what I do in the world I'm operating in. And I have found in a lot of situations, I'd like to be able to lead people in even like a five minute drop in. Right, and I right. wanted to get some kind of a training or some kind of language totally. to be able to, yeah, do, yeah, to feel yeah. confidently like I can do this, you know? So yeah. I'm studying with Saar and his homework for me is that 20 minute, that second session. Oh, okay. But 
using different sort of like Buddhist mindfulness techniques, etc. So right. mixing up. So I'll do the TM mantra in the morning and then do a different style in the afternoon. And still I find myself, I'll be like the next day and I'll be like, oh, I didn't meditate yesterday. So I need to, just that's, today, that's I was funny. like, I need to put that alarm on. Well, <laughs> I, you know, when you were coming over here at six, I was, I had contemplated like, oh, maybe at 5.30. Like, 10 minutes. Yeah, in. I was like, maybe I can sneak one in. But then I really wanted to be really prepared because mm. this week I've been so like mm. rushing into interviews because I've done so many. Uh, and I really wanted to make sure that I was very grounded for, for you and, and I could cover what I wanted to cover with you. But I know what you mean about being put in a position where you're sort of an authority and being asked to speak and possibly lead meditations and stuff and not feeling like you have like a solid training for it. You know what I mean? And Even I've, though I've been meditating regularly myself for like know. six years now. I know. It's like... To, t to tell someone else I still feel like I, there needs to be some kind of a qualification but I again, totally know what you mean I, I've considered even taking like kundalini yoga teacher training not because I'm going to follow the path I don't think of a mm. kundalini yoga teacher but mm. I would like to be able to incorporate some of that into workshops and retreats and things that I have planned in the near future you know and I don't want to be inauthentic or unqualified uh, or like yeah. teaching something that I'm not like an expert in at least to some degree so yeah. that's cool I'm glad to hear that you're doing that with Saw yeah <laughs> yes. I interviewed him a couple of days ago and oh. we I mean, we could have gone on forever. You know, we we're like long lost brothers. We had a really good time. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's a, amazing. He's a great dude. So I'm glad he's to hear amazing. that you're doing that. Indeed. <laughs> so going back to the aesthetics and creating a platform and creating content that is also mindful of art and, um, you know, high quality like branding and colors. And I'm sure you remember the time when you start to get into the esoteric and the new agey stuff like all the websites were super ugly and the color palettes were horrendous and all the fonts were like from the 80s and there's like little drawings of fairies and just you know what i mean like the the kind of mm -hmm. the old new age stuff the sedona mm -hmm. like the 1980s mm -hmm. like sedona vibes <laughs> um so i i think what you're doing and there's a lot of people doing this now you know um lacey phillips from free and native mm -hmm. and there's just like i mean there's just endless people like doing what you're doing doing it in a really cool sexy way which I think is smart because it's pleasing to the eye, but it also makes it much more accessible and cool. And so when I was looking at your site today, like I just found, I have it, you can look at it, I have it up oh, in front yeah. of me here. And you have, you guys, she has these uh, like sweatshirts and t-shirts <laughs> and stuff on the site that are like the Chanel logo and the Versace uh, logo, yep. but they say Chakra Paris <laughs> instead of Chanel. Uh -huh. And then the uh, Versace one is uh, the Versace <laughs> kind of logo, but it looks like a Shiva it's or something. It's a Ganesh. A Ganesh, okay. Yes. And it says Vinyasa. So <laughs> really cool. I mean, I think this this kind of this kind of approach to uh, to the, the spirit world is really cool because it's an easier buy-in and it just makes it sort of more fun and also creative. You know, you can actually get creative with your branding. And I think that's what appealed to me about like the cover of your book and your mm -hmm. website and everything is like super sexy. And you can see that that past life in fashion mm -hmm. and, um, you know, in the editorial world kind of poking through um, other than you just like liking that. Did, was there any intentionality behind like making it more marketable from that standpoint? Well, or were you I just mean, like, I just like cool looking shit. So I'm doing it this way. There was that. Of course, there was that. But like you said, um, that kind of 80s Sedona aesthetic was essentially what inspired this site. Because I'm like, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to explain to my colleagues on the Sunday Times Style magazine right. that I'm into astrology and it's not woo-woo. And it's I find it a really valuable tool for self-awareness and personal growth and for understanding my relationships. And, 
and then I'm showing them this website. <laughs> right. And I'm like, this is not going to, no, there's a disconnect here, right? So I knew that I wanted to create a platform that would be enticing and appealing and give some credibility, even though not to say that the people producing this content aren't credible and don't oh, know yeah, their stuff. Sure. Like there's amazing information oh, out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, but most the way of it's the presented <laughs> and packaged is just going to completely fall on deaf ears. Totally. No, most of the people that I still follow still have that really antiquated, yeah. corny branding. Yeah. Like, I don't care. I love exactly. the teachings, you yes. know, so it doesn't phase exactly. me. But you're you're so right of having like an entry point for someone who's not going to see the inherent value in the material yeah. right away they're going to see the face value and be like oh gross like who's this old lady with the crystals you know it's like it's just like described... you got, it's like a trojan horse okay, concept so right literally just took the words that I, i've actually i've described my platform many times as a trojan my little pony ah that's funny <laughs> that's it's all funny. like rainbows and glitter and like pink right. and chic and right. cute um and then you get in and it's like and here's all these conspiracy theories. And what do you think about Harp creating these weather? Oh my God, <laughs> you cover I, Harp? I haven't covered Harp. Oh shit, I haven't covered you Harp. Everyone was talking about it at the Whitmer event the other right, week. Obviously right. with everything that we're seeing going on, yeah. like it, literally in real time right now, yeah. you can't ignore these conversations anymore. I want to start having some of those on my show. Mm. I actually, um, I'm doing one, I've definitely covered like smart meters and cell towers and some of the you know the health risks but mm. I'm, I'm moving toward i actually have a show planned with some of the more cover-up conspiratorial elements of the technology companies like hiding the data from us uh, but one thing i really want to cover is geoengineering mm. because it really has a lot to do with health i mean i don't mm. want to get in like political stuff at all because mm -hmm. it's definitely outside of the realm of the show but um geoengineering is very real and there's tons of evidence on it. And it's mm -hmm. one of those things that pisses me off because we can't have, you don't have any control over the air you breathe, you know? And so there's all these aerosols and things being released into the atmosphere, weather modification and all this crazy stuff. Yes. Some people call them chemtrails, which I don't yes. like to use that word because then skeptics are like, oh, that's not real. I'm like, oh God, you know, it's so frustrating. Again, though, it comes to the same thing. It's but we don't have a like choice. That's semantics what, and visuals and yeah. languaging. It's like, there are some really important conversations to be had. Yeah. And unless they're presented in the right way, it's going to just completely close doors. You yeah. know? So yeah. I think, yeah, thinking about the visuals, thinking about the languaging around these things is actually really important. There's a, there's a missing chapter from my book. I had to actually cut five chapters because I wrote so much. <laughs> I got so into it. Um, Did the publisher uh, request that? Yes. I filed 108,000 words. The wow. book was meant to be 80,000. What was the process? And, and hold that thought. Mm. Don't, try not to lose the thread. And mm -hmm, I'll try to. Mm -hmm. Did you ever consider self-publishing or did a book deal come easy to you? Well, yeah. I, I, a year after I launched the Numinous officially, an editor at HarperCollins reached out and was like, love what you're doing. Is there a book proposal here? Wow. And I was doing a podcast with someone called Jen Mavros the other day, who's a coach who's all about manifestation. And, the ma and I was like, and this, it feels to me like the purest form. It's like what we all know about manifestation, right? And right, like attracts right. like, I was literally just putting all my love and passion into this project with no expectation whatsoever and just doing it because it felt so good. And then I manifest this book just kind of came to me. Like there was cool. no pushing. I didn't knock on tons of doors. It literally was like, do you want to do a book? Yeah, okay, let's do a book, you know? Was the process of delivering a book that the publisher liked difficult? Luckily, I worked with this incredible editor, Libby Edelson, who was the first person who had actually reached out to me. And I think because she, 
she feels, I think she always felt like she had found the numinous. It was a, a new acquisition for her. Like she felt very personally invested in the book um, and in my story and in the project. And so it was pretty, it was actually, it was pretty seamless. There, was, there, weren't, there weren't any kind of like battles between me and the publisher. Like she, she knew cool. exactly what she was buying and that's, that's what I delivered. I've heard very, some, I've heard oh some nightmares goodness. from people, even like people like you, they're just minding their own business and a publisher's like, hey, want to do a book? And they're mm. like, oh, cool, okay. Mm my lucky day and then they start writing and then they just start getting hammered change this change that and it's I've like well why don't so you guys just write stories right exactly. like why don't you yeah. guys just write the book and leave me yeah. the fuck alone you know i mean i, was I get very, that a lot from she, author friends she's an amazing editor and i felt i feel really lucky to have worked with her but on the flip side i can also see the appeal of self-publishing because essentially right. a lot of the promotion is is down to you and it's down to the size of your platform and and that kind of thing and, and that's what sells books really so I can see why people go that route. I personally, working as a one-woman band pretty much on The Numinous, it actually just felt really good to have a team. It felt, oh, felt like bad. a team to yeah. be able to bounce off and to collaborate with. actually felt really good. So that's, I, I, I enjoyed working I think it lends a certain degree of credibility to, I mean, when I'm yeah. like looking to have someone on my show, if yeah. it says like HarperCollins book, yeah. I'm like, oh shit, okay, they're the real deal. There is Whereas if it's too. like, buy my book on Amazon, yeah. PDF, you know, it's just, it doesn't hold mm. the same kind of weight, mm -hmm. I, I think, in a way. Not that there isn't value in self-published books, but there is a definite like positioning thing in terms of marketing that gives you credibility if a huge publishing house has put yes. your book out, you know? Yes. yes. But so I've, I mean, I've also like talk to you know like my uh, friend neil strauss he's like a 10 times new york times best-selling author and i've talked to him about it and he's like if you want to write a book just write one why do you want to go through all that shit of dealing with the publisher does he self-publish no no god no he's like a massive author you yeah, know right. i'm like well that's easy for you to say <laughs> you know every book you put out is instantly new york times bestseller but he's like you know you might not want to go that route mm. because they're I mean, I guess for him, he has creative control because he's proven himself and mm. he's not going to get a lot of pushback, probably. I'm, mm -hmm, I'm, a lot of mm -hmm. this is my own assumptions, mm. but he's kind of like, dude, I'm going to give you guys another bestseller. Leave me alone. Mm. Uh, and so they're probably on board with that. Whereas um, a first time author is likely to get a bit more policing from a publisher, Definitely. I think, unless they're so fortunate as to have your situation yes. where your editor just like gets you. That's exactly. beautiful. Yeah. She really, really did. That's awesome. But the missing chapter, I was going to tell you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. yeah. Cool. Back Thank you. You're really good. There were five You're missing really chapters. And the one that a I showed about. <laughs> takes the thread back. Boom. It was called, um, it was called rebranding the C words on cults, covens and conspiracy theories. Oh, wow. And it was about how these quite fearful concepts um, have actually are actually very much in our um, culture right now you know cults what what are cults but brands and like the kind of little the little tribes that form on social media and like the way we all have following like for these kind of like cult figures that we can find um, can, covens you know the whole idea of women's empowerment there are so many women's circles kind of like and the whole kind of like witchy conversation coming very much into mainstream and conspiracy theories I think that now that we all have access to all the information online, conspiracies theories aren't so conspiratorial uh, anymore. They're kind of like out there in the mainstream a lot conversation. Of them aren't theories, <laughs> right. they're real. Exactly. I so, do that. Yeah. in terms of conspiracy theories. <laughs> I would say I'm like not really that skeptical. I'm probably someone who is somewhat easily duped. You know, mm -hmm. if on the scale of like, you know, a gullible person that believes anything and the skeptic that just shuts anything out that they mm -hmm. don't have a scientific study, and mm -hmm. I'd probably lean more on the like open minded mm -hmm. spectrum. 
But I still look into stuff, I think, from a pretty, I hope, objective point of view. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's not that many conspiracy theories that, like, aren't true (laughs) to some degree. You know what I'm saying? I mean, name one from 9-11 to the rest of them. It's just that I think a lot of them get discredited because the official story is definitely not true. Yeah. Okay, like you'd have to be a fucking idiot to think that like whatever was on the news with something like 9-11 yeah. is what happened. It's just not what happened. Yeah. The thing is the people that are perpetuating the theories about what happened make a lot of shit up. And so the conspiracy theories aren't necessarily true either because they might swing way too far the other way. Or in the case of chemtrails, a lot of the really like kooky conspiracy theorists that will expose chemtrails they say that the reason it's being done is to literally like make us dumb and brainwash us and we're breathing in these chemicals so that we become docile and controllable it's quite possible maybe we're i don't know what sounds more likely is just that there's some scam going where they're trying to affect the weather and do something with the environment and maybe they are like actually trying to protect the planet from global warming by putting a bunch of metal particulate that reflects the sun. I mean, that's kind of the official story. You don't really know, but (laughs) with conspiracies, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because the super kooky people's story is too out there. But you got to know, like whatever you're hearing on the mainstream media, dude, is just not true. It's (laughs) fake news. I mean, a lot of it really is. Yeah, exactly. And you can watch them like, I mean, I don't want to politicize the show. I think a lot of people that listen to my show probably aren't so much like on board with a lot of the mainstream media perspective. But you see them like eating their words every two weeks. It's just like, you know, especially in our current political climate, there's just so many like really strong opinions on both sides. And But I feel like in the world of health and wellness too, like every week there's a new study that comes out that's disproving last week's study. And it's kind of like, okay, is it this? Is it that? Is it coconut oil or is it MCT? Like what's the deal? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's funny. Yeah, definitely in the food industry, it's funny to watch because I've been into all this stuff for like 21 years, you Mm. know, from being a vegetarian, the Mm -hmm. vegan, the paleo, like Mm. all the supplements, the fasting, the juice bars. Mm -hmm. Like I've sort of watched those things come around and some of them are cyclical where fat's good then fat's bad and you know um eating uh being in ketosis is good then it's not you should be a fruitarian and a breatharian like i've seen all that stuff come and go so many times that's that i don't really like i don't really pay a lot of attention to the noise in the health industry i just like use common sense like try to shop at the farmer's market yeah eat stuff that comes out of the ground pretty fucking simple Mm -hmm. and then i also you know supplement some stuff like that that uh because I'm not living in a natural environment. Yeah, right. You know, if this was 500 years ago, I wouldn't need to take vitamins. Yeah. Because the soil has vitamins, you know? Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Let's take a brief intermission to tell you about the upcoming launch of my brand new 90-day lifestyle design coaching program, where you can have the opportunity to work one-on-one with me. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for a free 15-minute assessment call. We're going to have a quick chat to discover what your blocks are and find out how we can move you through them. Using my 20 years of experience in the fields of health and personal development, I'm going to guide you through my system of revolutionary mental, physical, and emotional transformation. This program is fully immersive. It's a deep dive into my nature-based philosophy of personal optimization. So based on your personal needs, we're going to work together to map out a blueprint for creating the happy and healthy lifestyle that you deserve, as well as a very practical approach to spirituality that you can actually carry into your relationships, your career, and your future. 
Here's the deal though, space for this program is very limited. I'm not even joking. I can only take on five clients per month, period. So go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for your free 15 minute consultation with me. And now back to the interview. So conspiracy theories, um, you're no stranger to that. And that, that brings us to actually something that I really wanted to cover with you. I want to make mm. sure that I, that I don't before I run out of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a couple different topics that are both pretty juicy. And I feel like we've just been shooting the shit. And I'm like, wait, mm. Luke, focus. Okay. Uh, there's something that you talk about in, in your work and sort of in your community. And that is this idea of the divine feminine. Mm. And I, being a male, of course, know nothing about what it's like to have a female body and have that experience. Mm-hmm. But I know I share the sentiment with a lot of my heterosexual brethren that it's been difficult for us to navigate like the modern woman in terms of like the more toxic elements of feminism. Mm. And we're sort of, we, I mean, me and my homies that all think like I do. Mm -hmm. I don't mean, you know, every hetero guy in America, but you know, guys in their 30s and 40s are sort of like, yeah, I'm not into like women hating me because I was born with a penis. It's not my fault. There's almost like a reverse sexism in a sense at times yeah. um, because the pendulum was so far in the other direction for thousands and thousands of years that there's this sort of collective pain body of the feminine and it erupted, you know, and it's like, fuck this. We're not going to take it anymore. I get it. But there's also us guys that are like, we didn't do it. <laughs> you know, it's like, we're trying to be cool. Like, we're nice guys. But what's refreshing is this sort of new movement of this divine feminine thing where there's actually like a lot of very conscious women now mm-hmm. that are sort of, it's, I see it as kind of, a, and I don't, I'm, I'm going to ask you because I don't know a lot about it, mm. but there's like these women's groups and these retreats where women go and like celebrate the moon and it's this sort of like crazy new movement of these wild women that like embrace their feminine energy rather than like directing that pain body at hating men or trying to be like men or beat men at their own game but they're sort of like we have our own fucking game and we're finding our power and we're using that power to affect the change we want to see in the world so that's my just sort of like poking through the window at this little movement, yeah. which I'm not really allowed in, you know? Well, I was just going to piggyback so, off, of, off of what you said, going, yes, these are the women in my coven, in my scene, and this is exactly what you're describing is very much a celebration of feminine energy in women and men. And a lot of what I hear from women who are really awakening to this and bringing forth this feminine sort of like power are like, come men, join us, awaken this within yourselves also. The idea is it's very much kind of like that yin-yang thing, right? We all, men and women, all genders, embody feminine and masculine qualities, traits and powers and energies. And actually the world that we live in is largely focused on this very masculine, which would be very productive, um, very alert, very um, domineering in certain aspects, um, very territorial potentially, versus the feminine, which is more collaborative, intuitive, inconsistent, all of these sorts of things, creative, you know, and that actually our society in general, our collective and us as individuals, men and women, could really benefit from balancing those two energies, bringing, and, and there is a necessary focus on bringing the the feminine forward because it has been suppressed you know in all different areas so yeah it's absolutely i see it as an evolution of the feminist movement really because it's it's very inviting of of men to get involved with this too and to look at the feminine in themselves which might mean look at your like 
focus more on your intuitive, like pay attention to your intuition, connect more strongly to your emotions and don't be afraid of your emotions. Like really see it as actually part of your masculine power to be able to feel your emotions and express yourself emotionally to your women. You know, it's like, and we'll respect that in you and that's cool and that's attractive and that's what we want to see. We don't necessarily value the man who's like got it all together. Actually what yeah. feels more real and more supportive yeah. is a man who can go, whoa, this is what's really going on for me. And that feels like equality, you know? Yeah, yeah, I like, I like that perspective. It, it seems that the sort of emerging movement that you described is not at all, um, it seems to me in a different sort of energetic realm than like pussy hats and marching and being pissed off. It's almost like, it's well, like, it's like, promoting the feminine rather than fighting against yes. something it's not you know like the mother exactly. Teresa, like she wouldn't march in anti-war protests she would only march in pro-peace mm -hmm. demonstration exactly you know it has that sort of that vibe tone to me from what yes. i'm gathering and this it's a it's, it seems like a relatively new kind of subculture that you're mm. describing or mm -hmm. else it's just kind of new to me and i'm just traveling in circles these days well, where i'm being that, exposed yeah, to i it. think that it's probably um younger more visible more vocal women who are kind of like and, and the fact that we actually all have platforms where we can share more freely these kind of ideas you know right. we can kind of get information and share it um via social media etc um, but yeah, it's absolutely, there's a, there's a meme that does the rounds on Instagram that's credited to various different philosophers. And it's something about, you know, when you, when you want to create change, focus not on what you want to reject, focus all your energy on what you want oh, to I cultivate and create. I've got the words all that. wrong, but it's what you were talking about. It's like, this is why I don't really like the word resistance. You know, I can appreciate it obviously where that sensitive is. <laughs> sen but it's giving, all, it's giving so much power to what you're resisting. Whereas I would prefer to focus my energy and my, my power and my spirit and my life force on all of the things that I want to cultivate in my life. And I think that goes the same with anything. Like, you know, we've spoken, touched on kind of like moving away from substance abuse, for example. In my journey, stepping away from alcohol, I've really tried to focus much less on all the reasons I don't drink or don't want to drink and much more on all the things that feel great about not drinking and really keep my focus there, you know? Um, so yeah, it's a similar thing. It's like, but there are obviously still so many instances where women as an expression of this feminine energy force are being deliberately, um, and forcefully and aggressively suppressed. And there is a necessary then push back against that, you know, for a, from a self-preservation perspective. And sure. I think that when, you know, with the women's march, etc. I almost didn't go because I am quite anti-resistance. <laughs> but on the day itself, when it came, I really felt like I couldn't not be there. And I'm so happy I went because the energy was not what I expected at all. It was so celebratory and it was so loving and it was so alive. And I'm, it, it felt really, really good to be part of that movement, you know? What was the, because I don't, I don't pay that much attention to the media. I mean, I hear mm. murmurs of who's doing what, but yeah. I, you know, I literally don't like turn <laughs> the, the TV same. on, you know yeah. what I mean? So something has to be pretty big for mm -hmm. me to hear about it. Mm -hmm. I was unclear as to if there was a specific event or something that had happened that spurned that march. I mean, were, were they just like pissed off that a 
president got elected that talked about touching pussies was that kind of the gist of it yeah okay it was the election yeah okay and i do and i you know the pussy grabbing moment i think that that was actually quite a, a turning point in terms of our culture that specific incident when the news first came out and that video first was leaked i really thought like i think most a lot of people <laughs> in this country and around the world thought, oh, that's it, game over, there's no way. The fact that he got away with that and not only got away with that, but became elected president, I think that it almost put us into this era of just lawlessness. There seems to me like there's a sense at the moment in the world where like people can do what the hell they like. So what are you going to do, sue me? There's this attitude, you know, and that's really permeated out throughout um, culture, which is on the one hand frightening, but for, I think, people who are committed to, you know, making some really positive change in the world, it opens a lot of opportunity as well to be like, okay, well, there are no rules. So let's do what we're going to do. Yeah, you can have your own, <laughs> you can have your own radio program or start your own <laughs> magazine. I mean, I think that's the, the wave of the future is having, you know, at least for the time being, I'm not that, I'm not that confident that free speech will last very long uh, at the current state of affairs. But mm. for now, we can kind of do what we do and say what we want. And there's, of course, a negative and a, and a positive to that, I guess. But I am excited, at least, about this sort of new wave of women celebrating feminine energy because yes. it's just so like you can, as a man, just from my perspective, and I know so many men share this, we've been waiting for this. We want to support that. Mm-hmm we don't want to support man haters. Like there's no future in that. You know what I mean? It's like, let's all find some balance. You know, that's in my life. Like you mentioned men having feminine energy earlier in my life. I was, I think way too far in that direction for a number of different reasons, which we don't have time to go into. Mm -hmm. And then kind of realized that that was unfulfilling. And I was ending up in relationships with very masculine energy women. And that was like horrendous for both of us, which is horrible then went like really far into exploring the masculine energy and I think became kind of a dick (laughs) for a number of years, at least, you know, in terms of dating and relationships, because I was, you know, I didn't find my calibration of Mm -hmm. like where that pendulum can kind of sit in a sweet spot where I become more malleable and able to access both of those energies kind of at will. And that's always the goal is to find that mm. middle path. You For know? both men and women, I think. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, because when you go to work, you can't be like, oh, I don't know. I feel like just pretty colors. I like the world will fucking eat you alive. <laughs> right? Although, I mean, although I not. do think what's, what's one thing that's interesting I've spoken to, are you familiar with Danielle Laporte? No, I'm not. She's a, she's a big kind of like um, self-help writer, I suppose. And my colleague, I, I run something called Moon Club, speaking of moon circles. I was going to ask you about that, yeah. <laughs> which is, um, it's a spiritual mentoring um, program online for, for women, I guess. We've never advertised it as being for women, but it's mainly women that join. What if I like go on exclusively women that join? <laughs> We'd love to have. I want to like you. interject myself and in something like that and just show up at like one of those full moon ceremonies. And like what? I bought a ticket. I've taken. Having said all better. this, I've taken my husband to a couple of things, and he just feels deeply uncomfortable. But that's again, it's like that's that discomfort is actually where change happens. That discomfort, yeah. that edge, is often where progress really happens. So I think we need to keep getting uncomfortable i did you know? a workshop about a month ago with one of my guests named john wineland who is a um a teacher of you know how to embrace masculine and feminine energy kind of not a relationship coach i don't mm. know what you call it he he follows the work of david uh, data mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. way of the superior yes. man so it's mm. just all about energy mm. and i went to the workshop as like a single guy because i happened to be single at the time and so they pair you up with a number of different women in there who were also single and then there were a lot of couples 
And <laughs> you want to talk about being uncomfortable. I mean, I don't have time to go into it. And I've already talked about it on the show, but <laughs> we did these exercises where like, oh man, you had to be so vulnerable. And it was, oh, it was about, it was about intimacy, mm. like fierce intimacy mm, was the name mm, of it or something. Mm, I was mm. like, no problem. I can be intimate. It's like, oh my God, just all these exercises where you sit in like eye gaze for what seemed like eternities and just crying and you know women like they had this one thing it was like this west african tribal sort of tradition where all the women line up on one side of the room and just like fucking scream bloody murder at all the men and you had to just sit there and just breathe and just be the masculine energy that can contain that rage like lifetimes and lifetimes of the feminine pain body being just spewed in your face literally and you just sit there and breathe and just show like a fierce love for that feminine and just take it, not take it on, you mm. know, like a codependent but way. Like but like I've got you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, and that was just one of the things. It was two Amazing. days all day. And I, I <laughs> honestly think I grew more that weekend than I probably yes. have in like years of having yes. relationships and yes. fumbling my way through them. Yes. And it was really wonderful to actually really cultivate that masculine energy, but a healthy masculine the energy. empowered masculine. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And the women in there, I was like, where did you all come from? Like you're Martians. I literally never met women that were that in touch with their feminine energy. Mm. And it was so powerful and so moving to be in that presence. I was like, whatever you guys want. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. if you want men to really serve and be conscious, bringing that feminine energy out is the best way to do it. I mean, this is where firemen and policemen and you know, uh, military. This is where those guys get that gumption from. They're doing all of that for the feminine. Mm. You know, when mm. you think about the archetypal male power, they're not doing that to like flex. They're doing that for kids, for babies and women. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So anyway, it's a bit of a tangent, but I'm just, I'm excited about, about what you all are doing. This, this now age, you know, divine feminine celebration because the world <laughs> needs that. That's the healing energy that we're all really exactly. looking for. You know? Because yes, you could. And I'm well, saying as a, as say a masculine man, we're ready for it. I can yes. speak for all of us. I'd say any conscious guys like, cool, bring it. We will show up and hold space for that if we're given the opportunity. Yes. But I mean, having our balls busted by like a man-hating, like a masculine woman that wants to bust balls, that is never going to go over well. it's well. just more it's of so that. Repelling. It's more of the disempowered masculine, which is looking to compete, which is looking to win, which is not doing, not showing all the force for the, the, the holding and the protection of the female agent, but it's doing it literally right, to win right, right. and to beat because it's coming from so a place like of fear. So it's like more of the negative thing. It's yes. like it's almost like there's meeting a, the negative side of the the male or the masculine energy by bringing more of that and fighting against the Basically, thing that yeah. you don't want there. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is a really exciting thing that you're doing, and I and I applaud you for you know bringing a more positive way that we can relate because if you really zoom out and the way I look at it is like. We're, who knows how many times like each of you and I have been in a male or female uh, embodiment. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, exactly. oh, I'm a man. I'm not a man. You're not a woman. This is just like the energy that we've been enabled to play with this time around, you know? So exactly. I don't even like to get too identified and like, oh, I'm a white guy or I'm an American or I'm a man. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a spiritual being having a really trippy human experience. And for whatever karmic reason, mm. this time I got to be this in a male body. body. I've been given. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, it's an opportunity for me to, and for you and all of us to 
explore this energy and learn how to work with it in a positive way and use it for our own evolution. And then the next 10 lifetimes will probably be a woman and have to deal with that, you know? So it's like, exactly. I think it's fun not to take it all too seriously and to really work to find some balance. So that's, that's cool stuff. Okay. Next thing I want to talk about is astrology, which seems to be like one of your primary motivating forces and how you kind of got into all this. And even though I'm like a super kind of hippie guy, for some reason, astrology is something I'm always like, eh. like I'm, I'm, I love it. if skeptic. I'm skeptical <laughs> of anything, it's crystals, astrology, and tarot. And the tarot and the astrology are two things that are kind of in your wheelhouse. They and really so, are, yes. Uh, my experience with astrology <laughs> is growing up with a mom who was born and raised in Berkeley in the 60s, was super into it, had mm. my chart done when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Anytime I brought a friend home, a girlfriend home, first thing out of her mouth, which would mortify me every time, was like, what sign are you? Anytime I meet anyone, what sign are they? I'm like, I don't know. His name's Jerry. He's my new <laughs> soccer buddy. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, interesting. But she was always, oh, your moon's in Libra and this and that. I was just like, okay, what does that mean? So I don't know enough about it to be have a healthy skepticism. However, I'm also not so dumb to think that where all of the planets are aligned when you come out of the womb doesn't do anything to you. Right. Like watch the tide go in and out according yes. to where the planets are. And, and we're made of water. And just the way the planets move in these right. totally <laughs> non-random and very beautiful sort of like formations, right. you know, and repeating patterns. So it's one of those things yeah. where I can't, I can't deny it, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's really hard to get empirical evidence. Oh, yeah. The it's only, the it's only evidence right. <laughs> that I have that there's something going on there is the fact that the vast majority of my primary relationships in my life, including many of my family members, are I'm a Scorpio, mm. double Scorpio, mm-hmm. a Scorpio with Scorpio rising and a moon in Libra, which might mean something to you, hopefully, from a narcissistic <laughs> point of view. Exactly. I, I can't you wait totally till you tell me. <laughs> but, um, but what I have noticed, and I've talked about this in the show because it's a phenomenon, is that I always gravitate toward other Scorpios, Libras, and Virgos. Like Mm. almost everyone I'm really tight with is one of those. It's uncanny. Like pretty much any girl I date, like any Mm -hmm. my new best buddy, guy friend, they're always going to be one of those three. Very interesting. That happens all the time. Really? Like all of my people are Pisces. See, I don't know one Pisces. Right. Or Aquarius or Capricorn. So all my people are Pisces. My dad, like literally his mom, sister, me, my mother his second wife, his daughter-in-law, all Aries. I don't know any of them either. And he's either. a Sagittarius. Right. There's like tons of signs. I, I, I mean, I'm sure I've met so them, but that. they've never been in my there's sphere. There's this kind of like uncanny coincidence thing. Okay. I would like to ask you, how much of your skepticism do you think lies in the embarrassment that you were caused by your mother's interest in astrology? Wow. Very and astute just observation. Like, you know, we, often, we often form an aversion to things that have been kind of like been pushed on us like in that sort of a way so if there if there are uncomfortable feelings around her interest in it i mean then perhaps that it perhaps be, there's something there it could be very subconscious i'm yeah, not aware of that yeah it wasn't totally like it really bothered me you know yeah, but, but potentially you know i would roll my eyes and just say okay here she goes again kind right. of thing you know 
because I guess it was embarrassing because it was kind of like this is an uncool subject or whatever. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, to a degree, I'd say sure. As a Scorpio with Scorpio rising, I would say you are probably deeply curious <laughs> about this subject. Yeah. You know, the Scorpio and I mean, look Scorpio at what I'm is doing all right about here. like I'm curious about the mysteries of life, like yes. just wanting to get to the mystery behind, <laughs> yes. wanting to peek behind the veil and be like, what is going on down there? And that goes for the mysteries that reside deep, deep in our soul too. Okay. The mysterious kind of like deep, dark stuff that we don't necessarily get exposed to but which we're aware is there like the gift of Scorpio is to be able to actually go there dive into it and come back with like jewels of wisdom and like absolute kind of like total awareness about what it means to be a human it's a really deeply mystical sign so I would encourage you to investigate further but in terms of like this I mean my dad's the biggest skeptic of astrology and I could I've argued with him about this many many times and I'm kind of like I just, I'm of the mindset where I don't need to know how it works. Mm -hmm. For me, if it works on whatever level, and on this sense, on a numinous level, on that uncanny, just kind of like, oh yeah, way, then that's all I really need. <laughs> I don't come at things with a particularly scientific mindset because for me, it just doesn't, that's not important. What it's matters kind of a, to me, I totally what matters to it. me, and the way I often describe astrology to skeptics and non-skeptics alike and just the way I use it in my life, I really see it as almost like a language of symbols that we can use to describe different elements of our human experience personally and as a collective and as a globe that we don't necessarily have other words for, that we can't necessarily explain by other means. Um, so yeah, that's why I describe astrology as, you know, it's this beautiful tool for self-awareness, for investigating our relationships, investigating our motives, investigating our journey as we see it, our spiritual development, you know? We don't necessarily have other a terminology for it. I think one of the things that, for me and probably some other people, it's not like I think it's stupid or something. It's just not something that's ever appealed to me to learn mm -hmm. about or to mm -hmm. practice. Like pretty much everything else in the esoteric realm, I'm like, I got to know. I read every book. I listen to lectures by the experts. I think with astrology, there's like, there's such a wide uh, gamut of proponents of it and mm. reporters and teachers mm. of it from like shit you see in the Sunday paper to like someone who's probably on the more legitimate, the far mm -hmm. end of the spectrum that mm -hmm. like really knows their stuff and mm -hmm. there's some validity to it. So it's very diluted, I think. And yes. so it's really, it's hard to separate the wheat from the, what is it? The wheat from the chaff? chaff. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, so I it's agree. like, I think it gets this blanket. Oh, it must all be bogus. Exactly. Because you hear like some kind of like, flighty ungrounded person like oh mercury's in retrograde bro like oh it's totally because my taurus is in like my you know <laughs> like that whole thing you're like yeah okay where are you getting this you know yeah. so it's like it's so easy to be skeptical of it because there's such a i agree a depth of um you know empty platitudes and like corniness mm -hmm. to it mm -hmm. but at the same time there's still that core in me that's like nah there's something too there there can't not be something to it it's just a matter for me like of well who do i trust like i'm yeah. cool like i'm on board but how do you differentiate who the expert is that has the true wisdom and is able to harness that information and who's just whack <laughs> You know, what well, I mean? you know what's interesting? I got interviewed last week by a reporter for The Atlantic who there, she's writing a big piece about how astrology is coming more into the mainstream and being taken more seriously. And I think that 
you know, the Numinous has definitely been one of the forerunners in kind of bringing a different tone to the astrological landscape. There have always been incredible astrological scholars. There are people who specialize in psycho psychological astrology, etc. You know, you can study astrology at Brown University. Like, it's a really serious um, and ancient science. But you're right, um, throughout the past century, really, it's been very much, the focus has been on that kind of like Sunday supplement, kind of like, ooh, Taurus, this week you're going to meet a tall dark stranger. <laughs> yeah, and it's that's just what like, I'm saying. Yeah, what? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it's like two opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think that what I wanted, one of the things I wanted to do with the Numinous was really present astrology as a serious tool, you know, as a serious science. And there have been concurrently many voices coming up that are presenting it that way and they're entering the mainstream. So, yeah, I think that it's, it is definitely being taken more seriously. I think for anyone who is at all interested in personal development, it deserves a little bit of investigation just because it's such a rich toolbox with an incredible history. You just reminded me, uh, a friend of mine who is very pragmatic, this fellow podcaster named Daniel Vitalis, and mm. he's really into rewilding and this concept mm. of, you know, how domestication kind of ruined us, basically. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to always, like, get back to where we came from, in a mm -hmm. sense, because that's where a really fulfilling life can be found mm -hmm, is sort mm -hmm. of disconnecting he lives in the woods in maine mm -hmm. and he's really into astrology and cool. thinks of it from a totally scientific point of view and also from the point of view of like pre the last hundred years of the sunday paper yeah. you know you're going to meet the tall dark stranger um, and fall in love this weekend um, he's coming at it from all of the indigenous cultures in the world and how they've all been i mean if you look at egypt and i mean i'm not a historian by mm. any stretch but i mean every other culture has always been heavily invested in what's going on in space. Yes. And everything they do is based on yes, that. Yes, like so, farming and agriculture was yeah. all based on it. I actually had a kind of one of those aha moments and I might have smoked a little bit of weed <laughs> on Hawaii. I went to Hawaii and we were kind of like sitting out on the first night there and the sky is just like immense and all the stars are so incredibly bright. And I really had this moment of like, wow, astrology is like, how we used to tell time like it's literally right, the first, right. the, one of the first ways that humans were able to explain like like and delineate life on earth like the seasons right an astrologer um based in new york once once told me that the different astrological signs were actually words and i love this so much words that we use to describe the feeling tone of each season so Ooh, wow aries season which is end of March to end of April feels like this. And Aries was a word that was used to describe the feeling tone. And we all, you know, we all can feel how the air just changes when we get into late September and it becomes Libra season, you know? And I think we live, so many of us, so divorced from nature and the natural rhythms of the planet I think one of the reasons that people are becoming more interested in a more serious or esoteric, I suppose, study of astrology is that it's actually a way of connecting back to the cycles of nature and to really kind of feeling into the different cycles that we go through on the planet.
That resonates with me deeply. Mm. And thinking back like to the Druids and things, you know, and like Stonehenge and mm. stuff like that. I mean, just all of these and all the pyramids all over the planet, like everything has really, that was built, you know, pre, like prehistorically or not prehistorically, but just, you know, before our modern mm. culture, mm. Uh, everything was built around the stars. Yeah. You know, the all sun of and the stuff. moon yeah, were literally trippy. the gods, you know. It's trippy. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I, it's funny that I've never like kind of connected that. I just think astrology is like, ah, the new age girls like reading a crystal ball like, right like that kind of thing so th- this is good I'm, I'm opening my mind and maybe the mind Excellent. of some of the some of the listeners yeah, <laughs> I it's, <hope> so. <laughs> it's very cool and and the last thing i'll say about that because we can dive into your site and kind of learn about yeah. you and your experts in that perspective but if you think about what happens on full moons mm. like the madness of like the crime statistics and stuff oh, like and that ER rooms fill up yeah, yeah. yeah it's really trippy yeah and i've uh experienced myself on full moons where i can't sleep and i would say more than half of the women i've dated like literally cannot sleep on full moons mm-hmm. like they're just up all night mm-hmm. they don't even try mm-hmm. so there's definitely something definitely something something in happening <laughs> there i mean even on a physiological level considering that the vast majority of what makes up our body is water and yes. if you look at how the stars affect water it's exactly. kind of like oh okay there's something exactly. there and the fact that women's menstrual cycles are like the same length as a right. lunar cycle i mean it's just right yeah oh my god Dude, it's totally tripping me out right now. What? Did you ever see the movie Zeitgeist? <laughs> no. The documentary? No. Oh my God, you got to see this. It was kind of a, it was quite a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago. It happened sort of after a lot of the 9-11 conspiracy theory documentaries came out, then Zeitgeist came out and it did cover that, but it was more broad in its spectrum. And in the beginning of the movies, there's two or three of them, but the first one's the best. In the beginning, they talk about, they basically debunk all Christian religions by exposing that all of the major religions in the past 10,000 years all have the same story. It's the uh, born to a virgin mother, died, was resurrected three days. They all have 12 disciples. Mm-hmm. All the, They all have like the exact same story, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on to say how they're all related uh, to the Zodiac. And that like Christmas is, you know, it has to do with agriculture. And I can't begin to like explain what they show, but you basically show that. And if you're a Christian, you'd be like, ah, shit, oops. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, that's, that's out. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty rough and it's not like shit they're making up. I mean, this is yeah, you know, what if you going think back about to the, the Egyptian gods and the Sumerians. The planets. And the, yeah. Christmas, Christmas literally comes like three days after the winter solstice, which is this essentially the pagan new year because right. it's the, the lowest, the, you know, the darkest night of the year. And so from 21st of December onwards, the sky is getting lighter and it's kind of like people are celebrating the new light, the new, the rebirth of the sun. Yes. And the sun God, is Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yes. that like just, not that, I, you know, I wasn't a Christian per se or anything, mm. but I don't know. I'm down with Jesus. I The teachings I've read are cool. Everything mm-hmm. I've heard from the Bible, you know, other than some of the parables and the metaphors, mm. which are a little far-fetched mm. until you realize they're just that. But I'm like, cool. It's all about love. Like, I'm down with that. But when I saw that, I was like, ah, so this Jesus thing wasn't real? Like, <laughs> then how could all the teachings be so awesome, you know? Mm. And so what I sort of got out of that in my final analysis was that they're very well probably was a man incarnated an avatar of sorts named jesus came down here did a lot of awesome shit taught some cool stuff we're still we still base the world clock on bc and ad i mean like had a pretty profound impact Mm. but perhaps after he left the planet then 
these religions kind of came in and adopted some of these principles of astrology and sort of built religions and stories that served whatever, I don't know, whatever purpose that would mm. be, maybe to get people on board or to have some sort of theology or system built around the teachings so that it would last and be supported and be bought into, or maybe that they could make money off it. I don't really know. But it's a very interesting, that first 20 minutes of Zeitgeist will like, that'll you fuck you up. need to watch it's, it. It's, it's pretty trippy, from, from, <laughs> especially from the astrological point of view. Yeah. So there's, there's a, cool. there is a lot of things that we don't understand. And I think uh, that's why you use the word. Well, I use this, there's a quote um, at the end of the chapter on astrology um, from a, from a book called Parker's Astrology. That's like a kind of like big book of astrology, I suppose. The quote is, the universe is not only stranger than we think, it's stranger than we can think. Oh, that's ah, dope. I love wow. that quote so much. That's really, really good. That's <laughs> yes. really good. Wow. Okay. And, uh, and next I want to ask you, and this will probably be my last question, about uh, tarot cards, mm. which kind of fall in the same category. This is something, though, I literally know nothing about other than kind of the same thing, that it seems to have sort of a kooky connotation to myself yeah. and to other people, where I haven't yeah. totally dismissed it. Just one of those things I've never gravi gravitated toward. I've never felt a pull or any sort of interest. It's just sort of a neutral thing people are into. What, well, what are yeah, they and I how mean, do they work? Essentially, tarot is a divination tool. Um, and I think that a lot of people's kind of fear and skepticism comes from the, uh, the idea of it being the reader who has all the answers and they are in somehow gifted with like being able to read your future or tell your fortune using these cards. Whereas the, the modern tarot readers that I know and love and work with and who I've been learning more about the tarot from are much more like these, again, these cards use ancient symbolism as a way to activate our own inner knowing. So like when we see a card or a card comes up for us, it's actually not teaching us anything that we don't already know. It's rather activating or opening a portal of understanding or awareness for us to be able to kind of like acknowledge that thing within ourselves and bring it out into the world or bring it into our consciousness or into our awareness. So the kind of evolved tarot readers who are coming through now are much more I'm actually, uh, my, my resident tarot reader, Lindsay Mack, is, is um, launching a course, a tarot course this week. Um, and she talks about how she uses the tarot as a way to empower people in their own evolutionary process. So her whole thing is about like, we'll do a reading and you're actually reading the cards. I'm just here to facilitate. I'm almost like an interpreter between your higher self and you. And the cards are my way of kind of like bridging that gap. Right. That's cool. That's mm. a very uh, kind of plausible explanation, <laughs> actually, you know, as, as I said, I mean, I've seen decks and I go, oh, that's cool. Like I like the art and whatever, mm. you know, it has these sort of archetypes on them and mm. yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, but I, I just really literally had no idea what it all means. So it's sort of like, um, I guess in a sense, the way you describe it is how a healer might not be the one who's doing the healing, but rather sort of creating space or facilitating a healing energy that's coming exactly from somewhere else exactly like saw talks about meditation as a way of like putting your brain into a, a relaxed enough state that it can actually begin to heal itself it goes into its own sort of like healing state so yeah a sim in a similar way there the cards are just one of myriad ways of channeling whatever numinous universal energy life energy whatever we want to call it into our conscious awareness 
Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. Well, that's cool. I'm glad I got to get to those couple <laughs> topics. And we, we, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yeah, it's cool that we, you know, we got to spend a little more time here. It's when I always, you know, book people for an hour and then I'm like, it's usually not going to be enough time. Like mm-hmm. today I did Robin, Robin Bearson and she's mm. practicing MD. She's like, no, I literally have an hour. <laughs> it's a hard out, dude. Don't mess around. I was like, all right. <laughs> and I covered everything, but you know, I felt like I had to rush a little bit. So thank you for spending uh, so much time with me. Uh, I saw on your site too, something you might want to talk about. I'm not sure if this is going to come out before then, cause I'm so mm. backloaded now, mm-hmm. but I saw that you have a new year, new you event going on Indeed. in January. Indeed, I'm so excited about it looks, this. It looks cool. Cause yes. I noticed Saw is going to be there with Saw's you. And going to be there. So it's at Kripalu. Um, If you're unfamiliar, Kripalu is a big retreat center in Massachusetts. It's kind of um, a yoga or meditation center, but they have people going throughout the year, guest presenters. Like Sharon Salzberg and all that kind of crew there all the time. Totally. Like John of God, when he comes up from Brazil, will do his his thing there. It's like really legit. (laughs) And the woman who runs their programming came see me speak at um, a talk I did at the Wanderlust Yoga Festival in the summer. It was like, I love your book and I love what you're doing and would you be interested in coming and doing something? So we're doing it. <laughs> the Great. Numinous is taking over for the first week of January, January 1st through 5th. And I've invited four other presenters who are people I really, I work with often and I'm really trust. And we're going to do a whole range of different workshops. Um, I kind of called it originally a sort of Numinous Mystery School. So we're going to be talking astrology awesome. and tarot, but also Sars going to be there teaching meditation and breath work. I have a, a psychic medium I work with who's going to be teaching people how to tune into their own intuitive voice and interpret sort of their own psychic messages and things. So yeah, a huge range of different workshops happening throughout the week. That's awesome. It looks really cool. Well, yeah, hopefully this comes be out before that happens. We'll definitely link to it in the, really in the cool. show notes yes. and all that. You know, we have, of course, linked to all of that. So thanks for sharing that. Bad. And congratulations. What a great thanks. thing to be able to do. Yeah. It's probably something that you, I can see your career kind of moving in that direction yeah, and doing I've some been, more of that. I've been doing more of that this past year or so. And it, it's it's really, it makes all the difference to be able to actually put these tools into people's hands in real time and let them actually have the experiences that can be very transformational and it's so satisfying again it's not something i ever when i first started this is not something i ever envisaged you know yeah coming back to that thing about like shoot (laughs) what was it shoot aim ready um, fire aim ready okay i fired and this is part of the 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 getting ready this is part of what's come of it who knew but i good for you it's great yeah that's awesome and uh, my final question for you is a three-parter. Mm-hmm. So you've actually taught me a lot today. I mean, I learned about two things I knew relatively nothing about for sure, and even some other stuff. And you've taught the audience a bunch as well. Mm-hmm. Who have been three teachers or teachings that you might recommend that the audience Ooh. goes to check out? Ooh. Could be anything from a book, philosophy, a film, music, someone you personally know, famous or not. There's a book I've been recommending a lot recently. It's called Outrageous Openness, and it's by an astrologer called Tosha Silva. And it's just so beautifully written. And it's not about astrology. It's really just a a book of philosophy, I suppose. And it's really an amazing, entertaining, super easy to read reminder to trust in the divine order to just trust that our lives are playing out as they are supposed to and that we're really just along for the ride and to just kind of like accept whatever comes up and work with what we've got and just to really kind of like enjoy it it's just a really beautifully it's beautifully written and everyone i've recommended it to has been very touched by it and just really got helped found it helpful to get back into that kind of flow state so that's a really great book awesome 
I have had some really amazing transcendent experiences doing breath work. I don't know if you're familiar with breath work. I do a lot work. of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm literally addicted. I interviewed uh, Elian from uh, Womb. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've been no. there. They it's a it's down on Bowery and they have like it's a yoga it. studio. Yes, I know and about it. I they do breath yet. work and sound experiences. Okay. And so we were talking about breath work and. She's like, oh, you definitely should. I mean, no one should do it every day. It's like a thing you do every once in a while. I was like, oops. <laughs> I pretty much do some kind of really intensive breath okay. work almost every day. So, cool. Yeah. So I find it very intense. <laughs> and whenever I um, do it, whenever I go to a session, I, I, so I was going to recommend um, the practitioner I work with called, who's called Erin Telford. Great. She recently moved to the West Coast from New York. Ooh, so she's over she there. Did she to LA? I'm not sure exactly oh, okay. where she is, but her name is Erin Telford, just like it sounds. See how LA-centric I am? I, there's a whole long West Coast, probably thousands of yeah, miles, right. and I'm like, LA, right? <laughs> I hope Quite so. Quite possibly. Um, she may even just be kind of like traveling around a bit, but she's who I've been up, done it with. And every time I've shown up for one, I'm, we start and I'm just like, why am I doing this? Ah, because I find it totally. so intense. To get started is really hard, right? The physicality of yeah. it is like, like really overwhelming. Yeah. And then afterwards, I'm just like, oh my God, that was amazing. <laughs> but it takes about three months between sessions. But that's been like, just as a kind of like amazing physical experience of the numinous. Oh, for I sure. mean, wow, it's psychedelic. It's trippy as it. hell and it feels yeah. amazing. Yeah, I got into that through Kundalini Yoga. Yeah. And I didn't even, you know, I like found myself wanting to go to more of the workshops, the night workshops. My teacher, Tage, uh, does a number of different mm, workshops. I've or, been to one of her they do, Oh, cool. Or they do the teacher training. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I know if you go to the workshop, they're going to do the stuff that really puts you out there. You yeah. know, or is the morning classes, you do your little jumping jacks and shit sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, eh. I could do that at home, but uh, the breath work is, is intense. That's how I first started experiencing that. I'm like, oh my God, this is profoundly cleansing. You know, mm. it's just really powerful. So thanks for mm. mentioning that as so a teacher. So Erin Telford is great and Got she it. also does one-to-one -one and she also does one-to-one -one over Skype. Oh, so wow, it's cool. super accessible. Cool. Um, and then, well, what am I going to say? For my third one, I'm going to say um, my inner guide, myself. Oh, awesome. No one's like ever said really, that. you know, I mean, there's all these external things, again, all these material things we can reach for outside ourselves. But honestly, like the best teacher of all has been learning to trust what my own voice is really telling me. And learn learning to listen, first of all, to then trust and to act on what my my own that's beautiful inner guide is i can't believe me. you're the first person I've nor can i I've like <laughs> i thought i can't believe i'm going to say this cheesy <laughs> thing about my inner voice but like <laughs> no it's awesome and it's, it's funny because i was actually pondering that last night uh the reason we're sitting here and i have the opportunity to interview you is because i was approached by i think it was kara from mm. uh whitma first mm -hmm. i don't even know i got never even found out how she got my email or found out who i was but they invited me to speak as as one mm -hmm. of the panelists mm -hmm. and you know there was no money and mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm going to have to like pay for a trip to New York myself. It's pretty expensive. And then my school is out here this coming weekend. We're doing an event, but it was a week before. Mm. Like a week, I was just like, I don't know. Like, should I do it? What am I going to do? And then I had the idea. I was like, well, I could go out there, do the event, meet some great people probably. There's a really great scene out there. And I could record a bunch of podcasts. And so because I said yes to that opportunity, just and it was really based on my gut. Mm -hmm. I just I had to kind of feel it out. And mm -hmm. I didn't think about it i felt about it 
I was like, yeah, I should do this. And it's been like the most amazing experience. Amazing. And I've met you and like so many, I mean, I'm like, oh my God, I almost want to move to New York, God forbid. You know? <laughs> I, if it was snowing here, I wouldn't have that thought. No. But it's like, oh, I was totally guided and I've had the most amazing experience here and just really built really beautiful relationships or at least, you know, the seeds of hopefully future relationships with so many great people that I didn't even know existed. There you, know? you go. So I really don't know a lot of people in New York. Every time I come out, I just work, 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 and I fly home. But I've been like, you know, because I'm doing this, I really get to know really great people. So the intuition that, is powerful. That is the divine feminine in action. You said it right. yourself. You said, I, I didn't think it, I felt it. That's the divine feminine. And if we could all access more of that within ourselves, I think that we would be living in a much more loving, caring, progressive world. That's so, that's so true. Yeah, that is true. And then, yeah, so the masculine part for me was like, all right, cool, feminine. That's great that you want to go to New York, but let's get out of budget. But wait, am I getting paid? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, then I get am out. Am I getting paid? Have I got time? Like, yeah. Well, the, the masculine is how I schedule everyone. And like, <laughs> yes. you know, it's, it's... And you need that, of course. Yeah, it's, it's more like the nuts and bolts of it, but really like how I've selected guests like you that I've approached to, to mm -hmm. um, have on the show is like, I don't know, do I feel that person? There's zillions of people in New York mm -hmm. I could hit up to try and be on my show, but... But mm -hmm. I like when I heard you speak, that was the divine feminine within me going like, doo, 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 doo. my little beacon was like, yeah, she's on to something that I want to share with, with the audience, you know? So it is, it Ooh. is really cool to be able to be tapped into that too. But, it, but again, you know, all of these, the tools, whether it's the astrology, the tarot, the breathwork, the Kundalini, for me, they're all tools to amplify the volume of the inner voice of the inner guide and awesome. to really like forge and reinforce the connection to my own inner GPS. Yeah, well said. Cool. Thank you so much. Wow, what a great talk. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks so lastly, me. I mean, we've talked about your site ad nauseum uh, and, and your book. Like, let's uh, promote people. Where can they get your book, your social media, all that stuff? Give us some links. So the book is, it's on Amazon, guys. <laughs> but it's also at all of your local, it's also on Indie, IndieBound is a good place to go as well. How exciting was it when you got a hard copy of your oh book my God. in your hand? Well, it was you very nerve-wracking because you mentioned the cover and I yeah. we went back we did about 50 versions of the cover and I very specifically chose that color pink and I was so they got the cover the color completely wrong on the UK edition and I was devastated. So when the the hard cover US edition finally arrived, I was so nervous to open it. It was just like, how's it going to be? Yes, they got it right. Phew. I got it right. So that was good. It felt amazing. So yeah, IndieBound, I would suggest IndieBound. It's an online store that's, um, you know, it's a platform for lots of indie bookstores. So that's a great place to get it. Um, the website is the-numinous.com. I have a newsletter, a newsletter that goes out twice weekly that's like majorly popular. People love it. And it lists all kinds of fun events and workshops and cool things and you get these like cool astro mantras and things so the newsletter is really fun and then instagram i'm there pretty much all the time hi you're there right now, <laughs> there right now <laughs> which is at the underscore numinous awesome well thank you so much we'll put all that in the show notes if you guys want right. the show notes mailed to you you know where to go lukestory.com right on the home page says join the evolution sign up for that and i will send you every goddamn thing that we talked about today yeah. including all of the links to ruby's wonderful site and all of her work so thank you so much for joining me. And thank until you. we meet again, God be with you. Thanks for having me. <laughs>
This moment hurts me more than it hurts you folks, but these interviews can't go on forever. The show must end at some point, and that point is right now. It's over. Finito, kaput, adios, au revoir. We're outie. We're done. No more Ruby for you. I trust that since you're listening to the outro of this episode that you thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Otherwise, frankly, your ass would be gone by now. So thank you so much for hanging in. I love sitting down for this conversation with Ruby. She is a rad woman who's doing really cool things in the world. So I was very happy to support her, her work, her coaching, her book, everything she has going on. I would like you to help me and help Ruby by sharing this particular episode with one friend right now. I know it's a big ask, and you're like, how do I do it? Here's how you do it. There's a couple of different ways. You can actually click on one of the little dots on your player there, if you're listening on an iPhone, to the iPod app. Click on one of those little side things, and you'll see something that says share, and it actually allows you to text or email this specific episode to a friend. Another thing you can do is do a screen grab of this episode and post it to your Instagram or Instagram stories. Now, I know if you have a really sexy Instagram feed, you're like, hell no, dude, I'm not posting the cover of your podcast on my feed. That shit's going to look whack. I get it. If your Instagram feed is not like your main channel of content, you don't care, put it right in the feed and tag me and tell everyone to listen to this episode with Ruby. I will accept, however, if you put it in an Instagram story. That's a great way to share it. And while you're at it, follow me on Instagram. In fact, right now, as I do this recording of the outro, I am on Instagram Live just showing people what it's like for me to do the show. I do a lot of kooky stuff like that on my Instagram. So please share this show with Ruby. Make sure that you tag her so she knows she's getting some love for doing the show. And more than anything, I just want to invite you back next week for my interview with the guys from Mind Pump. As I said, this is a really cool, funny interview I do with these dudes all about the fitness industry. So don't forget to check that one. And with that, my friends, I will bid you farewell. Okay, now that we've wrapped up another episode and are even more inspired to live a healthy, happy lifestyle, I want to remind you to go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Check out the green juice powder. It's fantastic. And what's even more fantastic is that if you enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout, you're going to save a whopping 20% off your order. Go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, save 20%.